Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to a special live Sunday night edition of the Daydon Tolbert Show. I'm your host, Daydon Tolbert, and uh, you know, thank you for being here for my uh, spotlight on race relations in America. Uh, we are going to be discussing the 50th anniversary uh, of the uh, historic Martin Luther King "I Have a Dream" speech. Uh, and, you know, one of the things we want to do on this evening is have a, you know, honest, uh, intellectual conversation on the state of the black community, uh, the black community and its interaction with the white community, you know, where we stand uh, now compared to where we stood uh, 50 years ago, you know, how far we've come, how far we still have to go. And, you know, and really just take an in-depth look at, you know, who we are. You know, who we are, you know, as far as the dream is concerned. You know, I've been hearing a lot of talk about the dream being realized. And, you know, it, it was realized when we elected our first black president, which to me I find to be ridiculous. But, we'll, you know, we'll talk more about that. But, you know, I want to really, you know, discuss Dr. King and, you know, what he stood for, who he was, what he was all about. And, you know, figure out what we as a people need to do at this point going forward to to truly realize the dream, to truly uh, carry on his legacy, uh, you know, be respectful of, of what he fought for, what he ultimately died for. And, uh, you know, so that's what we're going to do tonight. Definitely feel free to uh, give us a call. We're live tonight, 646 uh, If you have a question or comment, hit the number one on your keypads. You know, I know a lot of people were excited. I mean, this is just, this is just an exciting time. It's a... Uh, you know, a very, um, you know, popular time. A lot of people are passionate, you know, around just, you know, race relations. You know, you obviously got the Trayvon Martin situation that, that kind of re-energized a lot of people. You know, um, you know Obama's second term. Um, you know, the butler is out in theaters now doing really well. A lot of uh, critical acclaim. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening. Um, obviously, the March on Washington this weekend. Uh, to commemorate, uh, you know, the march 50 years ago, and uh, so I, you know, I want to, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, you know what I mean? But you know me, I, I like to, you know, I can't bite my tongue, you know. And we are going to keep it real tonight, you know. We're we're going to keep it honest, and uh, we're going to pull no punches. I'm here tonight. You guys are listening. Courtney is here with me uh, today. Courtney, what's going on with you on this? 50th anniversary special. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited tonight. Are you as excited as I am? <laughs> I don't know if I would say all that, but I am excited, though. Okay, good, good. Um, you know, wh where do we even start? You know, I mean, hopefully everybody got a chance to check out The Butler, you know, which was a, uh, you know, I can't even say enough about that film. You know, it was it was you know I, I had high expectations for it and it, it lived up to which is rare that movies do this, but it definitely lived up to and maybe even exceeded my expectations a little bit, um with, you know, Oprah Winfrey and um you know, just everybody. I mean, too many people to name it. I think that everybody did a great job in the in the film and a little bit later on we're gonna talk um about some specifics. Um but you know, th this is the thing. You know, I, I think that when we look at unification, you know, when we look at, you know, where we stand as far as being 
you know, just united and what we stand for. I mean, you look at 50 years ago. Back in the day, you had leaders like, you know, Marcus Garvey, you know, Malcolm X. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on, even going back further, like, you know, Harriet Tubman, people who were, you know, not afraid to, you know, first of all, not doing what they did for attention, not doing what they did for recognition or for money, you know, or for political gain, you know, nothing like that. You know, these were people who literally were not afraid to just do stuff that needed to be done, but also not be afraid to uh, die and give their lives for, for this cause and not afraid to, to ruffle feathers and not afraid to uh, offend people for the great for, because it was what they believed in. You know, and that was 50 years ago. You know, and I, you know, I'm not, you know, me. That's that's kind of how I try to live my life. You know, you look at the Medgar Evers, the people who literally knew they would be killed. You know, Dadon Kimothy, Marcus Garvey. You know what I'm saying? Uh, w. E. B. Du Bois. I mean, you know, Booker T. Washington, Paul Robeson. You know, these are people who literally, you know, were banished and killed and beaten and spit on. You know, Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks. You understand what I'm saying? Frederick Douglass. Th- those are, to me, and again, these are just my views, but to me, these are great. This is greatness that we're talking about right now. Okay? You know, and these were respect people you had to respect. And when you look around in today's society, I don't see that type of passion. Okay? I don't, I mean, we, we you know, obviously we have a cause. Well, and I can't even really say that we have a cause now. Back then they had a cause. You know, the cause was civil rights. In some cases, it was freedom, right? I mean, that's what, you know, Harriet Tubman, that's what these people were, were fighting for is freedom. You know, like literally, my grandfather, my grandmother, great-great-grandparents, par- you know what I'm saying? Like these are people who, like, grew up in slavery. So there was no TV cameras. There was no let's just do this. You know, for the heck of it. Now it's, you know, this is our freedom. This is our livelihood. And so when you look around today's society, you know, you see I, all you all I really see. And it's unfortunate because now you have the, the you know, people like the media and, and the government regulating certain stuff. And, you know, to get any money, to get any funding, to get any attention, you have to play the game. Right? I mean, that's, you know, that's what this really is all about. It's about playing the game. You know, see, back in the day, there was no game. It was just them versus us. But now, it's, you know, <laughs> them, you know, partnered up with us, some of us, to act like they're going against them. And that's just not cool to me, you know. And, I, you know, I, I know what it is. I acknowledge it for what it is. I'm not, you know, I know the game. You know, technically, I'm... In the game, meaning the entertainment industry, this is what I do. You know, I just I just choose not to play it the way that they're playing it. But I know it. Believe me, I know the game. You know uh, very well. And so, you know, I think that to, as we start today's show off, I just wanted to kind of throw out some names and just encourage people to be like, "Whoa, there is nobody out there like that." You know, who is doing what they're passionate about on a large scale, but is not playing the game. 
Courtney, do you have any idea what I'm talking about right now? Oh, yes. Yes, most definitely. Um, you know, most people, well, I shouldn't say most, everybody who is somebody, you know, is they claim to be making changes like Obama, but th- there, there are no um, changes that have been realized. You know, it's all, um, it's become a popularity contest. And more so it's all about money and how much money they can get in their pocket. So they're not really fighting for any type of cause, um, you know, that has a, you know, that is backed by Christianity at least. And so um, it's just very unfortunate what's going on. And and then more than that, how many people are unable to see that. You know, they're actually believing that, you know, these leaders are fighting for us. These leaders do have our best interests at heart, and that's not what's going on. Right. And, you know, I was just thinking while you were talking, I mean, you look at, even if you look at um, certain uh, leaders back in the day, you know, they were, not only were they passionate about what they believed in, but, you know, for the most part, you know, they they were, you could look at a Harriet Tubman and know who she was and know what she was all about. When you think about her, you know she was passionate about helping the slaves get to free slaves and helping them escape. That's who she was. That's what she did. That's what she's known for. That was her passion, and it was, you know, no question about it. You know, you understand. Uh, Paul Robeson was when you think about him, he was passionate about breaking barriers in the theater industry, the the film industry, theater. You know, like that's just what he did. Even Ray Charles. You know what I mean? To a certain extent, that's what he was a musician, and he took a stand. He said, "You know what? I'm gonna fight for for us to be accepted in the music industry." Um, you know, who else can we? I mean, you know, so many people out there that we can even Frederick Douglass. I mean, he was an educator. You know, that a writer. That's what he was passionate about. You know, breaking barriers from from an educational standpoint. Um, you know, when you look at Rosa Parks, that's what she did. You know, sitting on the bus. You know, she was the, 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 you know, the face behind that really launched the civil rights movement. To, you know, to be honest with you, she took a stand. Said, "I'm not moving to the back of the bus." You know, Malcolm X. Now, now this is where it gets a little interesting. This guy was a Muslim. Okay, his faith was unquestionable. He was willing to go up against his own brothers you know, so to speak, to because of his faith, uh, you know, and, and that's what he was known for. I mean, that you know, obviously he was a civil rights activist, but his whole thing was like, look, we're going to take a stand by any means necessary. If we have to be violent, you know, so be it, but we're going to, we're not going to be taken advantage of, and that's who he was. Martin Luther King was passionate, and you, I'll, you'll see where I'm going with this. He was passionate, you know, and about uh, nonviolent protests. And, you know, he was a, a Christian, and he was passionate about Jesus Christ, and he was passionate about, you know, sit-ins and, you know, marches for a certain purpose. And, you know, these are people, it's like there was no question. You know, there was no question. There was no wavering, not with anyone that I even named. You know, Google a data on Kimathi, and you see what he did for the, in Kenya. You know what I'm saying? Obama's hometown. Right, you know what I'm saying? He was the, uh, one of the most well-known Kenyan freedom fighters of all time. You understand, Marcus Garvey, same type of thing. 
You know, these are people who, who were important. You understand that when you look at today's society, you know, name me one person who is even worthy of being mentioned in the same conversation, Courtney. Nobody. <laughs> no one. You understand Nobody. that, guys? And we have to, you know, and, and, you know, I think that some people would say, well, you know, what about Obama? Well, you know, what about Obama? Okay, and that's that's where I think we really got to start the conversation off because, you know, when you look at, you know, when you're the president of the United States, you know, and if that's just what he is, that's what he does, you know, you can't go out on a limb. You can't put yourself out there. You can't just stand up for your faith. You can't stand up even for your necessary, your personal beliefs. You are the president of the entire country. You're the leader of the free world. You understand what I'm saying? Like, so you're going to have to backtrack. You're going to have to sidestep. You're going to have to avoid certain situations. You're going to have to make deals with people who want us all back in slavery. And that's just the nature of, you know, the presidency, What you know, regardless who's in there. You know, and aside from that, you know, you got it, you know, when you're talking money, you know what I mean? Like Obama, yeah, he's, Obama is not a civil rights advocate. Please understand that, guys. Obama, I mean, excuse me, Martin Luther King was a civil rights activist. He was passionate about us, no question. Obama, this is someone who's playing the game. He's playing the game. You understand? I mean, he's, he's made favors. He's 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 uh, or excuse me, given favors and accepted favors and and taken secret oaths. You understand? And, and exchange, you know, different ideas. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Accepted money. You know, and and understand those. It was not always for the good, and very rarely is for, if ever, for the good of the black community. It's for the people who who are controlling him. If anyone doesn't know, Obama does not control this country. He's, he is, in fact, being controlled. And not just him, guys. The president, the presidency, the presidential office is just a, you know, it's just a piece of the puzzle. But, the, you know, the, and you guys know where we're going with that. But hopefully if you don't understand that, then definitely do some research. You understand? So, you know, I just want to, as we talk about where we stand now, we have to first talk about, where we first of all, where we want to get to, because I want to personally, I want to get back to the days where there were leaders. You know, that's who I try to be. You know, it's just unfortunate that we live in a society where you know it's a little bit different now. You know, you, where like you know, if you want media coverage and you want like the the stuff Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson and all this stuff that you know being on the radio and getting money and this and that, I mean that that stuff isn't. <laughs> listen, guys, that does you don't just do that. You don't just get media attention. That stuff comes with a price. Who do you think controls the media outlets? You understand that? That's that that's you know, boy. You have to play a certain game with that stuff. You have to rub shoulders with the right people. Why do you think you can Google Al Sharpton throwing up the, the diamond sign, the Illuminati sign? Right? I mean that's not you just Google it. Buddy buddy with Jay Z who's who's part of the problem, who's definitely down with the with the cause, if you if you know what I'm talking about. So, you know, the, if you if you think that I'm just saying, if you think that these guys who are our quote unquote leaders and have our best interests at heart, you got another thing coming. All right. So, any thoughts on that, Courtney? Real quick before we uh, 
you know, really get into it? Because we haven't even really touched on anything yet. Yeah, um, I, I do want to just comment on um, briefly about Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson and, you know, how we view them as leaders. But I just want to point out that it's a pattern. So it's like every time something happens in America that's, you know, race-related, you know, here they come on TV, you know, talking about how they're going to make all of these changes. And they talk a really good game. And so, you know, we're in support, like, yeah, yeah, you know, they have our back. And then, like, let's say a couple months later, it's like the issue just dissolves. You know, it's like we don't even hear about it anymore, and everybody goes on about their business and just continues living life the way that they did before, you know, the the said tragedy. And so, but it's like we forget. It's like almost as if we have amnesia as to say, look, they really didn't have our interest, best interest at heart because, um, you know, nothing came of that situation. No changes have been made. Right. One of the things we want to do is, you know, we want to talk about some of those, the, the problems. We want to talk about some changes uh, that need to be made. We want to talk about, uh, one of the things we definitely want to, are going to talk about is the Bill O'Reilly uh, situation. You know, he did a, uh, you know, a segment on his show where he, and this is one of the most ironic things, is that he did a segment where I've never heard, you know, to be honest with you, anyone in the black community you know, sum up, not even Obama. That's the I mean that's the craziest thing about it. Here we have the first black president ever. And out of all the speeches that Obama has given, you know I mean think about that, Courtney. This guy is known for being a, a, a speaker, you know, and never has he said the things that a white man was able to say about our community, about his community. Is not is that not the most ironic thing ever? Yes and no. And the only reason I say no is only because, you know, we know what's really going on behind the scenes. The only reason he hasn't said it is because he's paid to basically shut up. He's paid to say only but so much, you know, says just enough. Yeah. You know, and again, you have to, you know, anytime you can go out to Iowa and, you know, get the majority of votes in Iowa and, you know, Wisconsin you know, in, uh, you know, Idaho, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, when you're doing well in these states and getting thousands of people to support you, I mean, you know, you, trust me, you, you're not passionate about the black community. You you can be passionate about America, but when you talk about being passionate about us and the issues that affect us, no, that's not Obama, and it never has been. And anyone who says it is, is either a liar or just crazily out of touch with reality, because Obama has never been passionate about us, okay? I mean, I think probably the most passionate he's ever been is when he said, you know, oh my, you know, I, I, my, if I had a son, it would have looked like Trayvon, I mean, you know, that, uh, Trayvon Martin could have been me, you know, 35 years, like, just stop it, okay? I mean, like, seriously, just stop it. You you know what I mean? I mean I mean what does that even mean? Of course, okay, that could have been anybody. But that doesn't mean what are you going to do about it? Or are you just going to say something just because, you know, it's a hot topic. You know, and that's what we got to stop, you know, get get past the fluff, get past the the sound bites. You know, the 5-minute clip on CNN or or your nightly news, whatever it is, and look at the real issues and really what's being said behind the scenes and, and more importantly, what's being done or what, in our case, what's not being done. 
You know, a march is not going to do anything. And one thing I actually agree with Al Sharpton, I was listening to him on Sunday, uh, the other, actually last Sunday, and he said, you know, a march is not going to do anything. He said that's just, you know, to draw attention to the things that need to be done. Now, you know, on one hand, I, I mean, I can agree with that, cause, well, partially because you're right, a march ain't going to do nothing. The Million Man March didn't do anything. This march didn't do anything. Except talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. I mean, like, who were they talking to? You know what I mean? Like, Sarah, who who are you talking to? I mean, really, like, who was that march supposed to light a fire under? See, back in the day, like, what I mean, like, Rosa Parks, she sent a message that was that could not be ignored. When you say, okay, we're going to boycott the bus systems. You understand that? We're going to hit these people in their pockets. We're not going to ride their buses. They're going to lose a lot of money every day that they refuse to treat us fairly. That does something. You know what I mean? Like when Ray Charles says, I'm not, I'm the hottest you know, performer in the world right now, and I'm not going to play in the South until you guys decide to stop being racist. Well, that, you know, that's we're talking about thousands of dollars that are being lost, maybe even millions. So, yeah, that make that sends a message. But you know, everybody going down to, you know, hopping on a bus. You know, I mean, that's to talk about stuff that, you know, really isn't the major problem in the black community. That's the the irony is that these are the, the things that they were talking about are not the real problems. They're the problems that you know they have with. You know the government and legislation, but half the people, you know, if you look at statistics, half the people who went to that march don't even vote. They don't even participate because if you look, I mean, you know, really look at how many people even voted for Obama. You know, look at percentages. You know, I mean, look, half less than half of all black people are even registered to vote. I mean, that's that's amazing. So I mean. You know, I mean, we got to start, like I said, we can't start, if you want to really protest, protest with your pockets. You know, I mean, boycott something. Not just something ridiculous and say, I'm not going to go to Florida. I mean, that's not going to do anything. But really, you know, make a statement. Do something. Now, the butler. One of the things I liked about the butler was that, and I want to talk about just the movie, because we're going to talk about the specifics of it. But, you know, speak. You know, that's a problem. The fact that The Butler, it opened with about $20 million. It was the number one movie in America. But it opened with about $20 million. And so I have a problem with the fact that that was probably one of the best, uh, you know, black, I want to just say black movies ever, to be real with you guys. It was just, I mean, if you even want to call it that, but it was just a great movie about us, probably one of the best movies that really uh you know chronicled our struggle from start to finish there's not too many other movies out there that that you can say did that and you look at i mean the importance of that movie especially at this time you know for it to only make 20 million dollars you look at another uh good film red tails you know you you look at, you know that also made about 19 million dollars opening weekend so if you add up red tails and you add up the butler, you put them together, you get around $40 million. Well, my question to you, Courtney, is 
and you know, and to everyone listening, is why the heck did Red Tails and the Butler combined still make less than Medea opening weekend? I knew you were going to say that. What's up with that? I knew you were going to say that. Um, because, unfortunately, you know, a, a, a large percentage of us will only go to movies if they can um, make us laugh. So, you know, Medea movies, I don't really care for them because it's really just a whole bunch of coonery. It's just like, it's silly. You don't learn anything from it. It's, it doesn't have anything, um, you can't really take anything away from it. But those movies like Red Tails and The Butler, now those were excellent movies because, like you said, it showed a lot about our history and, you know, a lot of things that we went through. And it touched me emotionally, both films, just watching it because it was like, wow, you know, we, we've done so much and we've gone through so much in the past. And that will always mean more to me than Medea. Like, that's ridiculous. And so that shows that, you know, we still have work to do if we're willing to go see Medea before we see The Butler or Red Tails. Right. I mean, and there's so other, I mean, so many other. I mean, just black films, you know, historically, you know, whether it's Ali, Ray, uh, you know, in fact, I think before the whole Tyler Perry phenomenon, the most successful black film opening weekend was Barbershop, which obviously is a comedy. I think that did like. Forty something, you know, million dollars, and you know, it's only been a handful of black films that have even opened to uh, forty million or, or more. I think, I believe that's the only two. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was Barbershop, and it was the first Barbershop, and then you know the Tyler Perry films. Uh, there's never really been a black film to really, you know, come out and kit like that. Which, see, the thing about me, let me just say this: I have no problem. With these black comedies, I have no. I really, to be honest with you, I have no problem with Medea. To be real with you guys, I mean, yeah, it's black buffoonery, you know, it's coonery. But I mean, you know, to be honest, Tyler Perry's movies are not bad movies. You know, they're yes, they're scripted. I mean, you know, it's very predictable. They're very, uh, you know, over dramatized and, and uh, you know, unrealistic. You know, in most cases, it is was. But you know, it's entertainment. You know, do me and my wife sometimes we have we gone opening weekend to see a new Tyler Perry film? Yeah. You know, do we watch I mean, have I probably seen all the Medea films? Yeah. Well maybe with the exception of like one or two. But you know what I'm saying? I don't if you want to see Medea, go see Medea. But the problem in the black community is not that you are going to see Medea, it's that you're ignoring important stuff. You're ignoring I mean, hey, if you want to go see Medea that's fine, but at least make sure you see Red Tails. How many people out there haven't even seen The Butler? You know what I'm saying? And then, But then have the audacity to get mad when there are no other movies like The Butler being made. You know, when, when and I would even watched the interview with George Lucas, who is a white man, you know, who did Star Wars. He said, well, look, you know, I, I want, he said, I want to do a, make this a trilogy. He said, there's so much rich. He's married to a black woman. Uh, he said, there's so much black history just surrounding you know, the Tuskegee Airmen and, you know, just that whole period, that whole story. There's a lot there. He said, I, I don't want to just do one film. He said, I want to do three films, but, I, you know, I, I, I need it to be successful. If y'all want me to do it, it needs to make, you know, a certain amount of money. Otherwise, I can't do it. I want to do it. My wife wants me, but, I, you know, I can't do it if y'all don't support like that. So he's like, please go. And I saw so many of those interviews with him just begging almost us, not just white people, but begging us to support the, the movie. And then to see it only do, 
you know, like nineteen million. I think he even said he was like, well, they were like, well, what would you need for it to be to do to be considered successful, where you would feel comfortable making, you know, additional films? And he was like, well, at least twenty million. So I mean, you know, who, hopefully we'll see another Red Tails film, but I, we can't blame him if we don't because it, technically it only really did nineteen million opening weekend, and he specifically said I needed to do twenty mil, and that's a that's a damn shame, you know. So I don't want to hear. No, I mean, seriously, to me, that's protest worthy. You know what I mean? Like that that angers me. You know, people get mad about Trayvon. I don't get mad about Trayvon. I get mad about stuff like that. You know what I mean? I get mad about the fact that Medea gets made more, double the amount of money that Red Tails did. You know, a lot of this stuff actually pisses me off. You know, and we'll talk about other stuff, but I just want to, you know, talk, you know, talk about it from a real life perspective. You know, we can't sugarcoat this stuff. We can't, you know, not talk about these issues as if they don't matter. You know, uh, you know, BET. You know, I mean, you look at you look at BET. You look at, you know. The the time period that it was that it was founded and you know what Bob Johnson was looking to do with it, you know he was looking to take a stand. He was looking to uh, you know give us a platform to showcase you know our work and who we are as a people. You know, and it's it's amazing. It's, it's actually ridiculous to be honest with you. You know, because black entertainment television uh, has now just become a uh, a medium for white America to control us and to continue oppressing us and, and to brainwash us. That's the that's the most craziest thing. That's there's you know irony in its you know as pure as form. Black entertainment television is being used to destroy us and oppress us as a people. Is that not crazy, Courtney? Uh, yeah, but I mean that's how it's go- that's what's happening. It's it's gone down so much because if you notice, like in the beginning, like when BT was first, you know, on, they were actually showing like quality programming, like Teen Summit, Video Soul, like it was good stuff. Now it's like garbage. It's like it, these shows have absolutely no substance, and it's so obvious that you know who is behind that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, and obviously you guys know that, you know, BET is obviously not owned by anyone black at this point. It's now a, a subsidiary of Viacom, which is, you know, the same people who are responsible for MTV and VH1. And, you know, they now pretty much have a monopoly, and they just kind of, you know, spread their – and you guys know what we're talking about. You know what I mean? Like, everyone knows, like, who we're – we're not just talking about BET. We're talking about, really, the Illuminati. We're talking about the New World Order, the Agenda. You know what I'm saying? The people who really control this country, they are, you know, spreading their influence. I mean, you know, and so, I, you know, I, like I said, we, we'll talk about that. We've talked about it. We'll continue to talk about it. But I just want you to know, in, in the context of tonight's show, where we stand as a people, you know, as far as race relations in this country, we are now slaves. You're not now slaves. We've always been. It's just modern-day slavery. You know, you turn on the, the like Courtney said, Teen Summer. I mean, I grew up on that. I mean, that was a good show. You know, there before. You know, when, when I remember when uh, Vic, when was it? Uh, Uncut hit. You know, when Uncut <laughs> came out. You know what I mean? Like that was, I think, what Bob Johnson. That was the beginning of the end, because it was like he somebody got into his ear, and said, I mean, this is what happened. You know, he said, "Hey, look, uh, we see what you're doing here, but you know, you do you do you want BET, 
or do you not want BET? Now, if you want, do you? I mean, or like, really, do you want to be totally off the air and you lose all your money that you've invested in this, or do you want to play the game and get with the program? And he made a decision and said, "I want to get rich. I don't want to be in debt, and I will play the game." And he so he played the game, but the game is to destroy us. The game is to oppress us, not to educate us. I mean, people really sit back and look at the public school system in the black community and act surprised. Well, why are you surprised? You know what I mean? We were never allowed to be educated. I mean, that's what I mean. This is nothing new. We were never allowed to be educated. Nothing's really changed. You go back to slave times, they kept us from being educated. They beat us for being educated, for wanting to learn. Fast forward, you know, a couple hundred years. Right, I mean, now we are still unable to be educated because of a piss poor educational system, because you know we are glued to the video games and the television sets, and 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 what we are watching is really you know polluting our minds and the really the minds of our children, you know. And back in the day, because it was like that for me, but the only difference was I had a I had a family, I had a village. That you know to counteract that that poisoning, because there's so much stuff that I've learned out of school that I would have never learned that I did not learn in school. So, but that's the key is that I had a family, whereas now, and which we're about to talk about, there is no family. They've taken away the family. They're putting the black men in jail. Well, I can't say they're putting the black men in jail. We're putting ourselves in jail. We're being targeted, and we're falling into the traps that have been set for us as a people. And we're, we're the black men are, you know, out of the household out of the home, in jail, in the streets, in gangs. The women are, you know, having sex, single moms, working five jobs. And so these kids are left to fend for themselves. They're left to raise their siblings, you know, and and they're out having sex themselves. You know what I'm saying? So that's the state of the black community on a large scale. Now, yeah, you're going to have certain people who, you know, go against the grain, but, you know, and, and, and are the exception. Like I said, me, you know, people like Courtney, and, you know, and there are a lot of great people out there, but don't don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, when you look at us as a whole, you know, there's a bit, there are big problems in the black community. You can just look at these statistics, you know, and, and understand that. So I just want, you know, I mean, Courtney, you've, you, you've seen yourself, you're a little bit younger than I, but you, even in your generation, can see the effect of the demise of the black family. Oh, yes, most definitely. Like, I just see what I see around me, you know, every day. So, you know, whether that's the, you know, um, teen mom or, you know, just the the young men that are, are not in school but on the street, knowing they should be in school, you know, I see that too. And I know that a lot has changed in um, and I base a lot of it off of not only what I see today, but like, you know, things that I would hear my family say about how much different it was like back in the day. Like they would always tell me, you know, it used to be two parent homes, you know, and we don't see that anymore. So I hear that and I'm like, wow, because that's not how it is today, you know. Um, most people I knew, like including myself, you know, me and my peers, we grew up in single parent homes and Unfortunately for a lot of people, a lot of children didn't, you know, turn out so well because of that. And a lot of them got into trouble because of that. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it's unfortunate. You know, I grew up back in the day, 
you know, most of my friends actually had a mother and a father around. Now, you know, most people have one parent around. I mean, that's just, you know, how it is. You know, we know that, you know, if you look at all these homosexual kids out here, you know what I mean? Look, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's not rocket science to figure out what's going on. You got little kids, little boys playing with doll babies and, you know, wearing skinny jeans and, you know, walking around with these crazy hairstyles and, you know, getting piercings and stupid tattoos and, you know, I mean, it's really ridiculous. And the the reason for this is because they're they're being raised by by women, and you know, and no disrespect, no disrespect to the single moms. In fact, one of the next live shows you guys are going to hear from us is actually, um, you know, part two of our special from a few years ago on how to be a successful single mom. You know, how to get everything that you desire out of life. You know, being a, being a single mom and how to. Because really, you're not success. You're not a successful single mom until you find love, until you get married. No one, no one's su- truly successful. That's a whole another conversation. You know, what I mean? another big problem in the black community. You look at other cultures. You're not successful if you're single. You go to go to Africa, go to Uganda, go to Nigeria, go to Kenya. These are families. These are villages. You're ostracized if you are not. Uh, if you don't have a family, if you're not, you know what I'm saying, or if you're not, forget everyone has a family, or like if you are not, you know, a, a contributing member of your family, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? We're the only culture that thinks it's okay to be single. You guys know that, right? The black community is the only culture. Every other culture, you know, holds family to a, up to a very high a, a esteem. You know, single ladies, independent this, single that. I mean, that's that's just a black thing. Nobody else wants to be single. Nobody wants to be independent. These, these Koreans, these Vietnamese, Chinese, Japanese. You don't you don't see this stuff in in these other cultures. It's actually laughable. It's ridiculous. They, they're they're idols. There's no you know Beyonce of other cultures. You know, like that, she's been strategically placed and produced to destroy the black community. Does she have fans of other races? Yeah, of course. But the the uh, the, the you know the reason for her is to you know uh, you know is to d- influence young impressionable black girls and and cause them to be hoes. That's what a lot of people don't think. I mean, they did the same thing in slavery, and we talk about this every time we do a show like this, you know. But back in slave times, these women were groomed to be the white man's whore. You guys know that, right? I'm not saying anything that's not true. If you don't understand it, you know, look up your history. You know, I mean, if you were a quote-unquote, really didn't matter where you were. If you were a house nigger, then, you you know, it was it was already understood that you would be the the white man's concubine. When he wanted to get away from the missus. Now, if you were a slave, I mean, a field nigger, well, then, you know, same type of deal. He would sneak out. If you guys saw the butler, you know what I'm talking about. He'd take you out into the shed. Say, come here, I need you to do something for me. And, you know, and if the, the father or the, any guy had the balls to stand up and do anything, they'd get shot in the head, just like in the film. You know, and so these little girls who grew up as kids watching their moms be raped. You know, the moms would teach the girls, you know, how to be whores. I mean, how to be whores, you know. I'm just saying. It's that, see, that's the, that's the unpleasant truth of the black community. 
That's what nobody wants to talk about. But, see, see, I know the truth. See, I was told stories from my grandparents. Like, I know the deal. You understand? I know my history. The question is, do we as a people know our history, know our, the real history, the real truth? That's deep. I mean, would you? I mean, Courtney, you know that most people have no idea what we've really been through as a people. Yeah, yeah. A lot of us, we really don't. We really have no idea. And then what's even worse than that, um, you know, a lot of us are currently going through similar situations. Meaning, you know, having um, you know parents that are aren't really the best examples. Because um, you were talking about how the mothers were teaching their daughters how to be whores, and I was just thinking about like that's kind of still going on, you know, today. Mm-hmm. A lot of you know, a lot of little girls are looking at their moms, and it's crazy, and they're not providing a great example. Right, right. Just I mean, just look around. You saw the video of the girl uh, twerking to uh, Sierra's song. You know, I mean, that's this is <laughs> this is nothing new. You understand? I mean, it, it was a different day, a different time, but the, the effect was still the same. So, you know, that's what's going on. You got, you know, like I said, BT. You've got not only, and it's funny that Bill O'Reilly brought this up because he said, "Well, look, this is where we have to start." He said, "You know, we're going to get into that video a little bit deeper." But, you know, he said that one of the as passionate as we are supposedly about race relations and. Um, you know, the black community and issues that that are affecting us. Well, he said, when was the last time you saw Obama do a public service announcement telling young black girls to stop having sex? When is the last time you saw Obama tell any tell black women anything? When heck, when's the last time you even saw your pastor tell black women, "Hey, look, stop grooming your daughters to be whores." You know, when they when they're out here dressing with these booty shorts on, you know, tell them not to do that. You know, have a conversation with them about sex. See, see, my parents had conversations with me about sex. My parents had conversations with us about drugs and cigarettes. And, you know, we weren't allowed to watch BET. I tell you guys that all the time. We weren't even allowed to watch that stuff. You know, my, I could mention BET, right, like, today with my mom, and she'd be like, oh, BET. Like, you just want the naked ladies on BET. Like, that's just why I grew up here in that. We weren't allowed to watch the quote-unquote naked ladies on BET. And so we that we didn't watch them. Where are the parents in today's society who say, who regulate anything? Forget regulating BET, but just regulate anything. You can go out here right now, what, 9 o'clock, 9.45 at night, there are little girls, teenagers walking around the streets. Just go outside, your house, take a drive real quick after the show. I guarantee you'll see some teenagers, you know, just, just out and about. Summer's over. I mean, even if summer wasn't over, we weren't outside at 9.45 at night. You understand that, guys? And we have, and that's the problem because they're not just out there, you know, chilling. They're out there having sex. You know, which you know that's why we have thirty and forty year old grandmoms, right? I mean, that's the that's the problem because when you have that type of, uh, you know, reproduction going on, that's going to bring about poverty. You know, that's going to bring about uh, resentment and bitterness and. You know, I mean, just so many different issues that uh, specifically young women are going to uh, struggle with. I mean, they, these these young boys are they're going to have issues of their their own, but you know, there there's a special relationship with the with a father and his daughter. And so, when you take the the father out of the household and you have a little girl out there to fend for herself in the world, I mean, 
the result is not going to be pleasant. You know, I can I can guarantee that. You know, let's switch it up a little bit. So, but, so there's that. Like I said, we, we're going to talk about that video and, and all the points that were made, and we're going to talk about the backlash that it got um, from the black community. We're going to talk about the backlash that people like Bill Cosby get, you know, Don Lemon gets, you know what I'm saying, Dadon Talbert gets. It's like backlash, where are you... How are you giving backlash when people are speaking the truth? You know, I mean, we we, we can't just expect, you know, to be everything to be laughter and jokes and this and that. You know, let, but let's, I want to talk about a couple other things real quick. I said that, uh, you know, online, I said that, you know, it's it's funny, you know, that with all this talk about race and, you know, Trayvon and Troy Davis and Gina Six and, you know, all these, you know, Rodney Kings and this and that, you know, these issues that come and then they go and nobody speaks their name ever again. But the irony with all that is that is as passionate as we are about those issues where there's some type of injustice, the reality is that we as an African-American community are more um, discriminatory, can't really say racist, but you can say discriminatory towards blacks than anybody else. Courtney, have you ever have you experienced that in your life? Oh yes, <laughs> yes. It's it's so sickening to see. It's like, man, like I I could go anywhere, and you could see like, let's say like a cashier or somebody or whatever. Let's say you know she was black or whatever. So she would treat, you know, um, the customer who would also be African-American just nasty, just bad attitude or whatever. It's just, just horrible. But let somebody of a different way, some, different race, somebody white or any other race, and it's like they're so pleasant. And it's like we can't even support each other. It'll be little stuff like that or, you know, gossiping, um, you know, about each other. It's like we don't have each other's back. But if you look at, like, other races, like, um, you know, the Hispanic community, they are so tight-knit and they're so close. And it's like we don't have that unity. And that's so unfortunate for as much as we've been through. You would think that we would be more unified, right? But that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, it's not the case at all. You know, and I can tell you, I mean, you guys, you heard my... Uh, every time, every year, you know, on Martin Luther King's birthday, we do a, uh, you know, I call it my State of the Black Community Address, you know, and if you if you Google that, we did one in the last, I think, three or four years, and, you know, a lot of these issues we talk about, and, you know, we will continue to do them, and, you know, it, it's just unfortunate because a lot of these stories I find myself having to repeat, you know, but not the same stories, but the same types of stories, because it happens on an ongoing basis. You know what I mean? People literally not even speaking. I remember me and my homie, we were down uh, downtown Philly uh, one one day, and uh, we were down there for something. I think we had a meeting, and we, we were just kind of bored, and we said, hey, look, you know, let's just do a little experiment. And, uh, you know, we were just chilling, and we said, we're going to speak to, you know, the next, you know, 20 uh, black women who, who walk by. Really, the next 20 people, but it just so happened that we were in a, uh, you know, a heavy, heavily populated African American community, and literally, like nobody would speak. Like people would just just walk by. Like it was like maybe like one or two out of like the twenty, you know, who even acknowledged our presence at all. 
But believe it or not, the the women of other races didn't just speak, but they were, you know, friendly and, you know, and it's just unfortunate that, um, you know, that it has to be like that. And that was just an impromptu type of thing. It's funny, ironically, I remember posting that there was a group that I used to be in, I'm not going to say the name of it, but a Facebook group, and I posted, it was around the time when I posted that experiment in that particular group, and the and I and I didn't even, like, offer any opinions, I just pretty much told them what we did and ex- expressed the results of it, and I was I was attacked. I'm like, wait, they literally attacked me to the point where, you know, I I was defending myself, and then I ended up they ended up kicking me out the group because I they said well, you're a troublemaker. I said what? I'm just exp- explaining what happened to me. I thought this was what the group was for to share stories and experiences and ask questions. And you know what I'm saying? You guys know how these psycho groups out there are. And I was you know literally attacked because I was speaking the truth about us as a people, and that's a problem. You know, when you look at gang violence, you know, when you look at, you know, these stick-up kids out here. I remember a buddy of mine, he was almost killed, you know, for no reason. Going, going, uh, he was taking a sub, and, you know, he was got robbed. They told him to get down on his knees, you know, and they were about to shoot him in the head. Dude was like, yo, man, go ahead, shoot him, shoot him. You already saw us, go ahead, man. And then my buddy was like, yo, now he's like, yo, chill, man. You don't, you don't got to do that. Like, you know, you, you already got my money, you got my phone. You don't have to, you don't have to kill me. And they, you know, fortunately for him, they didn't kill him. Like, I, you know, Jesus must have been with them that day because he was in the subway. I'm not sure if somebody came in, but for whatever reason, they didn't shoot him. And it's just those types of random acts of hate that we are ignoring because to me you know and i you know i may you know i'm sure most people feel differently but situations like that when i turn on the news every single day and when you turn on the news every single day and you see some type of senseless it's actually ridiculous it's like it's not even funny anymore it's, it's just ridiculous you turn on your tv every single day and there's a senseless black murder you know what i mean I mean, like, senseless. Makes no sense whatsoever. You know, and, and literally, it's a little two-minute segment on the news, and then that's it. But then Trayvon Martin becomes this whole national media ordeal. You know, I mean, it's, like, that stuff doesn't happen literally every day where it's no question about what happened. Like, see, with Trayvon, it was, there was a huge question. There was a lot of reasonable doubt. It's like, okay, was he acting crazy? Was he not? Was he racially profiled? Was he not? Was it self-defense? Was it not? I just turned on the news today, and somebody just shot somebody in the head for no reason, blatantly. You know, that's no question. It was, it's not about it being, you know what I mean? And that doesn't even make any type of headlines. Maybe, I, but, and no one even cares. But people have the audacity to when they think it's a white man, it's a problem. And, you know, and then we did a whole show on the Trayvon and Zimmerman. Like, if y'all missed it, definitely check it out. But, like, that to me, that's crazy. You know, and that's the only word I can even think of. And I'm still, I'm just like, I don't know. It's like maybe I feel like the only person in America who who even thinks it is crazy, that that, that was even a, a, a story. 
Because I don't. I mean, I'll be real. I don't think that Trayvon Martin should have gotten that type of uh, media attention. It should not have. And the only reason that it did was specifically because it fit the agenda of the New World Order. They're looking to make a big race war, specifically right around this time of the year. Trayvon Martin, 50th uh, anniversary of the March on Washington. The butler, you know, magically comes out right around this time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like all types of stuff all going on right now. There's a, there's an agenda. You know what I'm saying? Corey, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, just to, you know, kind of piggyback off of what you said, um, you know, regarding the Trayvon Martin um, tragedy, it's just, what I'll say is that it's just obvious, just based off of everything we've talked about, that, you know, we have become passionate about the wrong things. You know, we're up in arms over the wrong things. We want to point the finger and, you know, look, you know, point it towards, you know, the outside or what externally is going on. Oh, it's the man. You know, the man is the reason that we can't progress as a people. But it's like we're not willing to look at our own selves and, you know, take care of our own situations, what's going on in in our homes. Like, that's where it starts. But, you know, it's like people want to be passionate about, you know, the wrong things. And, um... So, yeah, that's all I have to say. Yeah, it's funny that you said that because I posted that on Facebook recently. I said, and this is exactly what I said, I said some people get way too excited about insignificant things and aren't nearly as passionate about things that actually matter. And, that you know, the things that actually matter are us, you know, and what we're doing as a people. Because to me, you can't protest anything you can't march anywhere, you know what I mean, <laughs> but, you know, ignore the things going on in your own community. To me, that's ridiculous. It's not only ridiculous, but it's uh, hypocritical. You know, like, I, I look at, you know, things like the Million Man March as the ultimate hypocrisy. I didn't go to the first Million Man March. I'm not going to any marches, you know, because they're ridiculous. Half the times, I mean, you guys got to realize that the people that are marching are hypocrites in, in many cases. Like, for example, I know, a, <laughs> here's the funniest thing about it. I had a buddy who went down to the Million Man March, and he got his, his camcorder stolen at the Million Man March. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yo, you're there taking oaths and, and pledging to be better men, to be better fathers and husbands and to do right and, you know what I mean, like, stay out of jail. But, like, the same niggas that, like, I know literally, like, people who sell drugs, the thug, I know gangbangers who went to the Million Man March. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, yo, what the heck are you even there for? I mean, you look at people. I know people who have never, who have kids, who they've never seen, and people who have never paid a, a dime in child support, but they were at the Million Man March, or people who were at the, or who were, who were doing all those things, but they're protesting Trayvon. I'm like, hold on, how you mad about somebody else's son when you ain't even seen your son? You know what I'm saying? You don't even. You're not even sure if you have a son. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, 
that's crazy. Like you have a son that you know you have, but you never even reached out to this guy. Like y'all see each other in the street, and it's like, yo, what's up? Y'all keep it moving. Like that's crazy. But yet you want to protest somebody else's son who got killed by a Hispanic man. You know, and it's just, you know, and real quick, have you, have you seen George Zimmerman, any shots, any pictures of George Zimmerman since he's uh, got since he got off trial? No, where is he? Well, he's still in Florida. I saw a picture surface where he was buying a uh, a shotgun at this gun store. He was, you know, if you guys Google it, it was like an official photo. But the funny thing is, there's, listen, guys, there's a lot of stuff going on with this whole situation you guys don't even know about. But this guy is... Um, he looks exactly how he looked before the trial. You know what I mean? Like he, he is head, before his head was shaved. He had the goatee. You know, he looked like a straight up Hispanic man. You know what I mean? But now, and then he gets on trial, and it, it made him look like a white man. He shaved off all his facial hair. He gained some some weight. He grew his hair out. He, you know, and it's just like, wait a minute, hold on. Now he's off off the the uh, out of jail. And now he's back to looking like a nigga. You know? <laughs> wow. Yo, Google it. Google before George Zimmerman, before the trial, and then Google the picture with him. I think it's just one, but I saw I'll post it later on, but it's definitely him after the trial. He's still kind of fat, but he, he, you know, he grew his facial hair back. He shaved his hair back down. He looks Now he's back looking like a Hispanic man. There's a reason why he was told to look white during the trial, because it was to further this whole agenda that this was some type of racial injustice. No, it was a Hispanic man that killed a black man, plain and simple. That's it, which is, you know, which is what it is. You know, and I think we have to stop being pawns in, this, in the agenda of the people who are running this, this country. We got, I'm not like... I'm just be honest. I'm not an idiot. You know, I never have been and I never will be. I'm not an idiot. I I don't allow myself to be controlled. I don't allow the media to influence me or control me or dictate my emotions. You know, and there are a lot of people who are, who are idiots, but who also, but and some people aren't idiots, but some people are making some mistakes. Some people are clear, just straight up idiots. You know, like no intelligence whatsoever. But then other people are educated and they're not idiots, but they still allow their their emotions and their behaviors and their thoughts even to be controlled by 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 their handlers, you know, for lack of a better term. You know, and I, I'm just not, that's not me. I will, anything that happens, I will always research it. I will always formulate an opinion about it from an intellectual rather than an emotional standpoint. And it's just unfortunate that everyone is not like that. You know, some, for example, some people will look at the Trayvon situation or look at some of these, these quote-unquote tragedies, but they will never research, they'll never Google it, they don't watch the trial. Like, most people who voted for Obama have no idea what Obama stands for. Like, they're idiots. Now, and no disrespect to anybody, but, I mean, anyone who, who just goes with something that they see on TV and never, you know, uh, researches it for their own to formulate their own opinion, that's that's just stupid. They're an idiot. You know, it is what it is. And that's like you say, oh, the sky is purple. Like, okay, cool, yeah, the sky is purple. Without ever looking up at the sky to see what it is for yourself. That's just idiotic. You know, but that the, as stupid as that sounds, 
that's how a lot of people live life. A lot of your friends, a lot of your family, that's how they live life. They never research anything. They just go with whatever they see on TV. Is that not amazing to you, Courtney? Yeah, I mean that's that's how it is. And then they will actually want to debate too <laughs> about right. things they have no idea. Like it's one thing to have an opinion about something you don't know about, but you actually want to engage in a debate as if you've done your research. That's what blows me. Right. And the funny thing is, ask anybody, hey, what's what's you know who's Barry Sotero? Most people are like what? Who? Oh, Barry Sotero. You don't know who Barry Sotero is? Well, no. Who's that? Was Barack Obama? Right? I mean, that's what most people don't even know. They're like, oh, like when people come out and, and will tell you, like, yo, this dude wasn't born here. You know what I mean? Like he, he literally is a pawn and a puppet, and they, they pulled strings. You know, this dude is, like, literally from Kenya, you know, Indonesia. That grew up, like, like, he was not born in Hawaii, as they want us to believe. That's why it's like, you know, people really quick to say, oh, Donald Trump is a racist and this and that. And, I mean, but he, you know, they're not just him, but he made a lot of points and a lot of other people made a lot of, like, raised a lot of questions. Questions that have never been raised about any president ever. You know, and there's a reason for that. You know what I mean? Like, if you look, I mean, it, it, the story, it doesn't make sense. And if you look at a lot of this stuff, you know, over the course of history, like JFK's murder, the fact that Martin Luther King's mom was just, you know, killed not too long after he was killed, you know, even that whole, the cover-up. I mean, so many things that just historically don't make sense, well, it's because they, they're, it's not how they seem. You know, Princess Diana magically dying in the car. No, like, there, it's so much more. You know, and like when things like that don't make sense, 99.9% of the time, it, there's a reason why they don't make sense. There's a reason why Obama's not showing us, you know, his his uh, birth, his original transcripts and birth records and passport applications, you know, that that should be on file for everyone to see. There's there are reasons for this stuff. There's, there's reasons why people why they. Uh, the the president of Kenya and like you know people from that town are saying yo he was born here. There's a reason why those interviews have not been shown on NBC News or CNN News because they don't want people to know that. But you guys you see, I know people out of the country. You know they're clean. <laughs> I don't even want to like make this about Obama because it's not. But I'm just letting you know like there's a lot of stuff going on out there that is not readily accessible, you know, and reported by the mainstream media. And if you're if you're if you are a you know someone who considers yourself to be an adult and an intelligent and educated person, yet you rely on the mainstream media for your as your major source of information, I, I hate to be the one to tell you, but there's a lot of stuff you you have no idea about because CNN, Fox News, NBC, ABC, you know it's all watered down, and a lot of it is just basic blatant lies. So as we talk about race, and here's the funny thing. We look at race relations, you look at where we are now compared to back, you know, where we were, it didn't used to be like that. Because if if somebody told Malcolm X something, he didn't trust the government. Martin Luther King didn't trust the government. You know, they put something out there, like, they were questioning it. Like, that, if you look at the leaders... I mean, everybody knows that about Malcolm X. He didn't just go with the flow. 
not only did he research stuff on his own and formulate it on his own opinion, he acknowledged it for what it was. See, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, JFK, Abe Lincoln, these are all people who spoke out against the Illuminati. You know, the New World Order, these secret societies. All of these people were well aware of the secret structure that, that silently controls this country, and they all spoke out about it. But most people, these mindless zombies out here, are brain dead, too brain dead to actually Google their speeches on these subjects that we talk about every single day. Martin Luther King spoke about this stuff. Martin Luther King, Tupac even, spoke about the Illuminati. I mean, so many people who were killed you know, at, were passionate, not just spoke about it, but were literally passionate. JFK was one of them. You know, Google, just Google this stuff. You can see their speeches. You can hear them. What did JFK, what did Abe Lincoln, what did Martin Luther King, Obama, uh, you know, what did they say about the Illuminati? Just, you boom, you'll hear a whole speech like, whoa, that's crazy. You know what I'm saying? It's not just, oh, Dadon Tolbert and Courtney, they just, they're talking this conspiracy. They're, but some of the most respected people in, our, in history, you know, were, saw the truth. It's funny, I said online the other day, I said that, you know, we live in a society, you know, as African Americans, not just white people, but just us, where lie, where, where truth is called conspiracy, whereas lies are called truth. You know, I mean, that's, that's crazy. And it's like, where I see it as a lie. You know, Courtney sees it as a lie. King saw it as a lie. You know, oh, uh, uh, Malcolm X saw it as a lie. Megger ever saw it as a lie. But for whatever reason, we as a people accept it as truth. <laughs> is that, I mean, I don't know, Courtney. Maybe is it just me or, like, what's the problem? Yeah, I mean, what you're saying is correct. You know, a, a lot of us are just really falling for the lies and falling for the BS and you know, thinking that everything that's being told to us is true and that everybody, you know, has our best interests at heart. But you brought up something that was very, um, you know, important to note is the fact that those that truly did, you know, make a difference, you know, they they got killed for it because those were the ones that were actually standing up and actually, you know, passionate about what they were doing and actually wanting to make a change. And so, you know, people always talk about, you know, or, or um, you know, when Obama first came in, you know, I'm so scared he, you know, he's going to be assassinated and all this stuff. But you have to think about it. The reason that that hasn't happened, you have to think about it, is because no real changes have been made. And so we have to be honest about what's really going on. Yeah, we, we definitely have to be honest, you know. We have to, um, you know, you have to be honest, but you also have to know what's going on before you can be honest about what's going on. You got to be educated on what's going on, you know. And it's, it's funny, now, just to kind of switch gears a little bit, and then, I, like I said, I want to spend a good amount of time talking about the, the, the video, uh, the Bill O'Reilly video, because, you know, if we're going to talk about race relations, which we're doing this evening, you know, we've got to talk about it from an honest uh, you know, an honest perspective. We can't just, you know, play the victim. We can't just, you know, look, you know, outside of the community and say, well, this is what's being done to us. We've got to say, well, look, this is, these are some things that we're doing to ourselves. You know, in fact, you know, when you look at, I said, uh, I got into a debate with a couple of people uh, not too long ago where I said that the real problem, you know, I said the big, one, two of the biggest problems in the in the black community, bigger than anything, more detrimental than anything, 
you know, are these these uh, these girls twerking, you know, and and these niggas sagging their pants. You got ten year old girls looking and dressing like sluts, and you got ten year old boys acting like niggas. And if you guys missed my three hour special on that term, nigger versus niggas. You know, definitely check out the archives of that at DaydonTolbertShow dot com, where you know we did an in depth look at you know at that word, you know, and, and you can know why I said it, you know, what that word even means, what uh, it represents in our community, and how it's applicable, you know, the history, the origins of it, and how and why it's applicable to so many of us in the black community to this day, you know, as far as being ignorant, but. Um, you know, I said that on, I said online a while ago. Um, I said that when I was a young boy, you know, I had two parents, I had two grandparents, and I had an entire extended family who taught me the difference between between being a positive black man and a nigger. You know, they taught me right from wrong. I said that they taught me how to dress, but more importantly, how not to dress. I said that the fact that this type of parental advice is considered in today's society controversial or even racist, you know, in 2013 is not only ridiculous, but it epitomizes the overall problem that exists within the black community. You know, and that's that's a problem. You know, it's it's definitely a problem because, see, you know, I grew up in a... a, a you know, a, a time when little girls were not allowed to wear makeup. They weren't allowed to have sex. They weren't allowed to even date, let alone having sex. They And, they, you know, they weren't allowed, surely weren't allowed to be hoes and dress like sluts. You know, I'm just saying, that's just, that's the time period that I grew up. I didn't see what we, what, what a lot of you guys see and what I see today. That's just not how it was. And I'm only 35. You know what I mean? Like, it just wasn't like that. And if it was like that, you could look at, like, okay, what's going on? Well, you know, a lot of these kids were, you know, living on their own or or living, you know, with friends or, you know, emancipated themselves, you know, at 16, ran away, whatever they did. But if usually when there was a two-parent household, you know, you just didn't see what you see. But now, you know, it's just unfortunate. So many things have changed. And I'm not trying to blame the moms. In fact, I blame the fathers for not being there to step up and be the man and say, look, this is not how it's going to be. You know, I mean, that's just, you know, what we need more of. We need more strong black men to step up and say, this is what the deal is. I am the king of this household. I'm the king of my household. You got a chance to hear my wife last night, or what was it, uh, Thursday night, you know, in our obesity in the black community uh, special. But you know she's a strong black woman, you know. But at the same time, I am the man of the house. My daughter does what I say she's going to do. She will do what I say she's going to do. This isn't you just do what you want to do, you know. And and you know, obviously I have the best interest for my wife and my my daughter. But you know what I'm saying, and that's what we're not seeing out here. These little girls are doing whatever they want to do. These little boys are doing what it see you gotta realize see the reason why I had that strict type of mentality is because that's how I was brought up. See, I got beat. 
Now we live in a society where most moms don't even want to beat their kids. These single moms, most single moms I know, don't beat their kids. And I'm not, no, and that's still disrespect. And that can even be a whole conversation we can have. Like, do you beat your kids? Do you not? But if you're a single mom who does not beat your kids, you know, when necessary, I mean, I'm not judging her. You know, you do what you do, but you know, one, it's not biblical. You know, but two, it's just not, in my opinion, it's not an effective way to raise your child because they need discipline and they need to be shown, uh, hey, this is, you know, how it's going to be. And if you get out of line, you will be punished. See, I got gripped up, you know, by my father, by my mom. I got beat with the belt, with the rod, with a switch. You know what I'm saying? Half these kids don't even know what a switch is. You know, they think it's some type of new dance, some new twerk dance. <laughs> Do the switch. Like, what? Nah, switch was something you had to take the leaves off and so you could get beat. You know what I'm saying? When you got out of line. You know, see, see, there was a time where my, see, my, I grew up in a time where if we acted up, like my dad came to the school and beat us in school, you know, took the belt off in school, and it was no problem. You know what I'm saying? That's just what it was. Remember one time I was somewhere I went where I didn't where I wasn't supposed to be. My dad came into the store, gripped me up by my ear, and dragged me out in front of my friends. You know, yeah, I was, yeah, that was embarrassing. You know, but at the same time, that's what kids need. You know, who what what kid? Well, I can't say you can't say what kid wasn't embarrassed, but you know, back in the day, you could say that like who who wasn't embarrassed by their by their parents at some point. That's just what it was. Now it's like, you know, everybody's got this wall up. They've got the guard up. Everybody's too cool, skipping school, skipping class, playing hooky, standing on the corner posted up. I mean, no, with with no fear that anyone is coming to grip them up by the ear. See, see, see these are the real problems in the black community. The niggas standing on the corner. The girls, back in the day, girls stood on the corner or on the, in the middle of the block D- jumping double Dutch, you know. Now they're on the corner with the drug dealers, with their asses out, with their chest out, trying to get seen by the dope boys, you know, twerking, trying to get noticed. So what's happening is they're seeking out these drug dealers, these these thugs, these gangbangers, because they seek the protection. They have no no self esteem. Forget low self esteem. There's no self esteem, and so they're seeking out these weirdos and these losers who who are sagging their pants. Teardrops on their eyes, you know, and we all know what that means, you know, and nobody even questions it, you know. But then when Trayvon gets killed, they they want to march, you know, they want to protest when they have. <laughs> hold on, hold on, and I didn't even think I just thought of this. Hold on, hold on, let's just get this straight. So you got the gangbangers, right? The murderers, the killers, with the teardrops to prove it. And you get teardrops, just in case you're uneducated on on that, you get teardrops on your eyes tattooed when you kill someone. So you have people who've actually killed someone protesting because someone else got killed? (laughs) Does that make any sense? No, not at all. We have some ways to go. Yo, I mean, like, that's why I say from time to time, like, yo, it's like we're living in the Twilight Zone. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if y'all used to watch the Twilight Zone or the Outer Limits. It's just like 
like crazy stuff would just happen. It was like, yo, this can't be real. And it wasn't real because it was the Twilight Zone. It was like you knew it was going to be crazy. But the crazy thing, we're, you know, this we're living in reality. This is our reality. Like that's crazy. Like gangbangers, murderers are protesting someone getting killed. <laughs> and no one sees a problem with that. You know, they're like gangbangers and murderers, Bloods and Crips, right? People who, I mean, you look at it from an entertainment standpoint. You know, these are people who glorify this stuff. You know what I mean? Like Jay-Z's and, you know, Beyonce's and, you know, Lil Wayne and, and The Game and Rick Ross and Birdman, T.I., you know, these are people who literally glorify, not just sing about. Beyonce used to sing about crack back in the day. You know, she was one of those those chicks, you know. I don't know if you guys heard her on Cameron's song, singing about crack, cocaine, drug dealing, you know, things like that. You know, Jay-Z, Lil Wayne, T.I., these are people who have quote-unquote street cred, well, how do you get street cred? Well, it's because you're known for living the life in which you rap about or you sing about or whatever it is. That's what street credibility means. Young Jeezy, uh, you know, like some Meek Mill. I think that's why these people are able to sell records because they're able to ha- they they you know are able to speak about or rap about things that they've actually done. Now, I'm not, you know, knocking anyone from for, for where they've come from because it's one thing to say, this is what no one's, no one's talking about. It's one thing to say, hey, look, okay, this is where I was. I've made my mistakes. You, that's what I do. You guys know. You've heard my stories. I, I used to be a bastard. I used to be a, a, a whoremonger. You understand? Like, that's what I used to do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm the reason for a lot of women's emotional unavailability myself. So I'm not... But at the same time, y'all don't hear me sitting up here glorifying that lifestyle. You don't hear me bragging about it. I acknowledge that Jesus Christ was able to save my soul and change my ways. You understand? I used to be a bastard. I have no problem admitting that. The worst possible man. Okay? But, see, the difference with a lot of these guys is not only are they were they bastards back in the day, but they're still bastards but they're still they're actually glorifying their 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 bastard like behavior Jay-Z T.I. they brag about this stuff that's what i think a lot of people don't get they like, what well, that was back in the day and see see you know look at the problem well the problem is when you have people like obama again we're talking about race relations the people who who are the people that are going to step up and be our you know, liaison, be, you know, between us and them. Well, they say, okay, well, it's going to be Obama. Okay, well, how is it going to be Obama when Obama is buddy-buddy with the main perpetrators? You know what I mean? The people who, the, I see, the thing about it is I know these kids. I go into these schools. I, I talk to these kids. And the kids are saying the mentality that they have, that the, I'm talking about the, our youth, they're not saying, well, you know, I want to get, you know, I want to do it the legal way. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a doctor. See, when, when Cosby was on there, like, everybody wanted to be like Bill Cosby. 
and there were actual cool people, popular people, who were doing things legally that people wanted to be like. So that's why everybody wanted to be a doctor. You know what I mean? Like back in the day. You know, but now the people who are being put up on a pedestal are the Jay-Zs, these these entertainers, the Beyonce's, you know, who are rapping and singing about, you know, not so good things. See, now back in the day, you know, the there was a balance because a lot of the the, you know, the uh the defense, the common defense for that is or the the comeback, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's not the entertainer's jobs. It's not the entertainer's jobs to be, you know, role models. That's the parent's job. You, and you're right. You know, people say, well, that's, Beyonce's an entertainer. Jay-Z's an entertainer, well, which is really not the case. That's, there's so much more than that. If you don't know, you, you're just clueless. But there's so much more than that to begin with. But let's just say even if they were, you know, like even if they were just entertainers and it was just entertainment, it's clearly more than that. But even if it was just that, you know, there was always a balance, or there's supposed to be a balance in the household, you know, where you have the brothers and the sisters, the father and the mother, the grandmom and the grandpop, to all balance out and be like, okay, I don't care what they're doing, you're not going to do that in my house. Well, see, which is where we have the breakdown of the black family. There is there is none of that. Usually there's just a single mom who actually, you know, in most cases hates their the father, so they're already brainwashing them and poisoning them against black men to begin with in a lot of cases, but for whatever reason they're not they're just like babying them, you know, and they're you know, they're spoiling them. And they're not, you know, they're so it's kind of weird. And I know I'm speaking from experience. Like I know a lot of women where this is absolutely the case where they are so mad at their father, and they're so mad at the child's father. They have so much anger. They grew up with so much anger and had to fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. cry. So much that now that they have a child, they love that child so much that they would do anything and make to make sure that child has everything. And so, you know, while their heart is in the right place, a lot of times it has the reverse effect because they end up spoiling that child. And they end up not making that child really have a, a, a uh, an understanding of what it means to work and what it means to have values and morals and just a lot of the things. You know what I mean? Like, And, it, and know what it's like to be beaten. I was abused or I was molested or I was raped. So I'm not, I'm not going to put a hand on my child. You know, we did a show on R&B Divas the other night where every single one of those women was abused or, or molested in some way. You know what I'm saying? And so, I mean, Courtney, you know what I'm talking about. You, you've talked to women. You you were one of the moderators in the Each Woman uh, group. You see a lot of the stuff that goes on from many single single mothers. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And it's, it's unfortunate um that you know things are the way that they are um and you know and that those things have happened to them you know i'm not i'm not saying that was right you know especially in those cases of molestation and you know abuse it, that's 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 i can only imagine that's a horrible thing to go through but it's very important at the same time that 
you know, you you heal from that so that, you know, when you do have a child or if you have a child already, that you can provide them, you know, um, just with the best love and and the best guidance that's needed because you never want to, um, you know, spoil a child to the point where they feel like it's, they could just do anything, you know, because some kids may take that, you know, that love that you're giving them, that extra love, you know, to make up for what you didn't have. Some kids may take that and just feel like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm spoiled. I can do whatever I want to. And some kids will go out and just, you know, make the wrong decisions because they weren't ever really taught um, you know, about, you know, what's going on in this world and having that kind of guidance. So, yeah. Yeah, you got to be taught. You know, you, you got to, you know, there's so much, and I hate to say it like this, but, you know, it's impossible for a woman to teach a boy how to be a man. It's just, you know, it's just, you know, it's not possible. You can't do that. Just like I can't teach uh, my daughter to be a woman. That's why my wife is there. Like, it's funny. I, can't, I, I mean, I hope we have or are able to have a boy. You know, uh, but you know, on Sunday mornings, you guys see a lot of these these pictures and you know uploads and Danny puts up there. I mean, I love it. I mean, you know, has her looking all nice and braiding her hair all up and you know, put her in nice and nice shoes and sandals and dresses and you know, I mean, that's just what she does. It's like she's like a little Barbie doll. That's just what she does. And I say, hey, have at it. You know, I'm not there trying to trying to do that. Y'all see when I have her, she come out with an afro, you know, <laughs> little curly afro. I, I put a I put a, a a barrette in the front and call it a day. Put some stuff in it, put some moisturizer up in it. It's a wrap. I'm we out. We had daddy daughter day. You know what I'm saying? That just is what it is, you know. And so that's her role, you know. And I think that you know back in the day there were defined roles. Now you got, you know. Women letting their kids, their their boys, play with Barbies and you know, and you wonder why they're turning out gay. You look, I mean, I mean, this stuff is not hard to understand, guys. Everyone is gay. You know what I'm saying? This whole gay push is like, where's all these gay people come from? Well, as you look at the breakdown of the black family, I mean, is it where well, you you have you know boys being raised by women? Is it really that hard to understand why so many of our youth? are turning out to be super feminine. I mean, that combined with, you know, Obama making it now socially acceptable and even cool to be gay. I mean, it's just, you know, I'm not with all that gay stuff. Let's I don't know, let's talk about it. Because, again, we're talking about the black community, and we really have to be honest. Another reason why I have such a, you know, I don't support any of these marches or any any types of, uh, any of this crap. I was reading up, and I was, you know, watching some news coverage and, you know, reading some articles on the, um, you know, the the March on Washington this weekend. And I'm looking, and I'm like, well, it's funny because here they are. You know, you look at the headline and what it was about, and they, they speak about how many, you know, uh, you know, activists spoke and, and politicians spoke, you know, at the rally or whatever. And, you know, one of the things that they were passionate about is, is trying to push forward the inclusion you know, of gays, you know, obviously minorities, Hispanics, gays, and they're putting it all into the, you know, in the one equality pot. I'm like, gays? Like, what are you, what the heck are y'all talking about, man? Like, like, what do you, when, at what point did homosexuals 
or homosexuality get put into the same conversation as equality or civil rights. This is not what that that's about. You know, and, and, and you know, and here's the thing, if you're gonna do it, you know, you do what you want to do. I can't tell somebody else because I didn't organize the march. If you want to have a march, but don't do it in honor of Dr. the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You know what I'm saying? Because see that let's just be, let's be respectful. You know what I'm saying? Because see everyone wants to act like you know, see, see again, we're not talking about pe- you know, the uh the the switch hitters you know, the double-minded people like Obama and some of, you know, Jesse Jackson and, and Sharpton and all these other weirdos out here. We're not talking about those guys. I, we're talking about the people from back in the day that the civil rights was founded upon, you know, on their blood, sweat, and tears. You know, these were not double-minded people. These were not the switch hitters. These were not the people who were lackadaisical in their beliefs. You know, and Martin Luther King, I can almost promise you, would not have been one of those people who would have just been swayed by politics or public opinion or what was cool at the time. Dr. Martin Luther King was passionate about Jesus Christ. You see, he was actually a real reverend. In fact, my mom went to church today at Salem Baptist Church here in Philadelphia, and 50 years ago today, I'm not sure if it was 50 years ago today, but I know, I think it was, though. I think she said it was. Basically, he spoke at that church 50 years ago, you know, Salem Baptist Church here in Philadelphia, and they did like a whole, you know, reenactment of the the church service, which was really cool to hear about. I didn't get it. I went to my church. But, you know, the thing about that is, you know, he was not, he was a, my point is, it's not okay <laughs> for homosexuality to be have anything to do with the black church because the black church is founded upon the beliefs and principles of Christianity, meaning the beliefs of Jesus Christ. And anyone knows, everyone should know, that homosexuality is an abomination, you know, in the eyes of God. If you missed my classic special on homosexuality, probably my, one of, if not my favorite show of all time, just Google that, homosexuality on the Data on Tober show, and that show will come up where we talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, where we talked about Noah's Ark and the real reasons why, you know, the world felt God's wrath. You know, see, that's what I think a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, people are no longer fearing God. In fact, they're making a mockery of God. You know, people like Kanye West, you know, people like Barack Obama, you know, people like Jay-Z. These are all people who are passionate about making a mockery of Christianity. Some people are saying, what? What do you mean? How does Obama make a mockery of Christianity? Well, just Google Obama making a mockery of Christianity during a speech. Just Google that. It'll come right up. You know what I'm saying? You you get a chance to see how he, this guy's making jokes about Jesus Christ, and people are laughing at Jesus Christ. Did you ever see that clip, Courtney? I think I did. That's that's so unfortunate. This this world is just crazy. It's crazy and it's getting real. And you know they they're steady promoting, you know everything that everything that God hates basically is being promoted. And I'm so sick of. I mean it's kind of switching gears, but not really because we were talking about it. Homosexuality. I'm tired of that being like everywhere. It's like everybody is gay now. 
It's like everywhere you go and it's being promoted everywhere and it's it's like becoming, you know, something that's universally accepted almost. It almost feels like everyone has just caved in and just, you know, given into it and just really, you know, walked away from Christianity and that's what I don't like. Yeah, I mean that's the <clears throat> that's the problem. The black church is you know, it's this whole Obama thing. Because that's what I'm trying to, you guys realize, and I said this, you know, a while ago, that you guys know the only way, the only possible way, that's how you know Obama was handpicked, is that the only way you could ever get the black church to support something that Jesus Christ hated was, you know what I'm saying, would be to do it with, use a black man to do it. That's the only reason why homosexuality gets a pass in the church. Because think about it, you got Reverend Jesse Jackson, Reverend Al Sharpton, but they're calling for gays to be included in something in the the quote unquote dream that Doctor Reverend Doctor Martin Luther King started. What part of the game is that? That makes no sense. Make let me just be clear about what I'm saying. Doctor Martin Luther King would not did not and would not have supported homosexuality had he been here today. You understand that? In fact, no true Christian supports something that God hates. See, see, see. A lot of people. See, I guess you know maybe I may have been born in the wrong time period, but that's the type of passion that I have. Because I will, you know, I will never. I don't care how much money you put in my pocket. I don't care how many people protest. I don't care what happens. You will never get me to ever co-sign anything that is clearly an abomination in the eyes of God. You know, and that's just me, and it's not even a question. You know, whereas Obama is a flip-flopper, Sharpton is a flip-flopper, Jackson is a flip-flopper. You know, I'm just saying, like, what's up with all the flip-flopping, Courtney? Where are the people with the true passion for Jesus Christ? Right, as they they don't exist at least in the public eye. I'll, I'll put it that way. They're not in the public eye because for them to be in the public eye, that means that they have to sacrifice, you know, make some sacrifices, and that's why we see what we see. You know, they're not they're not really they're not supporting the right things. They're not supporting Christianity. All at the end of the day, all they're concerned about is you know their pockets. And so it's all about being paid. The funny part is that all of them, you know, that are, you know, um, preaching about or promoting, I should say, homosexuality are probably getting paid by gays. And so that's kind of, I mean, that's what it comes down to. So it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll just sacrifice my beliefs and I'll say I, I support homosexuality because at the end of the day I'm going to get paid for it. Well, and that's what I, I can't even... respect. Well, right, exactly, and that's what's going on out here. I mean, and see, the problem is that most people have no idea how society is being run, but but they are getting paid. you got to realize this is a business. Politics is a business. You know, half the people get, I mean, get, you got to realize, Google Obama campaign and look up, you know, the, his, you know, the role that gays played in his even being elected the first president. If he would have taken a stand against homosexuality like some of these Republicans, I mean, he, he would not have been elected. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Y'all know that, right? That's what There would be no black president if he would have stuck with his, you know, what he, he claims his beliefs were back in 2008. You know, or even not even that, like really like 2002. 
And I posted that video where it kind of showed how he's flip flopped since you know over the last eight eight years when he ran for uh, Senate and lost the first time. These were you know times where he was more passionate. He even said, oh, as a Christian, I believe you know I'm against homosexuality. I believe that marriage is between you know a man and a woman. These are things that Obama would say and has said publicly on the campaign trail. But over the years, his views have changed, and that is called flip flopping. You know, there's no place in politics for flip-flopping, yet where I guess was when it's Obama, it's okay. But when it's Mitt Romney, it's a problem. Or when it's, you know, George Bush, it's a problem. Oh, you're a flip-flop. He flip-flopped on it. Well, okay, look at all the things Obama flip-flopped through. But it's cool just because he's black. Now, I want to talk about this video a little bit, um, this whole thing. But real quick, before we get off that, just going back real quick to sacrifices. You know, and, and this is the thing, and not to put a damper on it, but, you know, you can't talk about this stuff and not really go all the way with it. But anyone, and I know many of you saw it, but you guys have to understand, you know, you know when you when you make a movie, I could make a movie and, you know, you guys would see it, you know what I mean? And that's it. it you know, I wouldn't have national distribution and it wouldn't be in the theaters and it wouldn't be, you know, like that. To have that type of exposure, to have that type of media coverage, you have to play the game and you have to do certain things. You know, somebody somebody in the group asked, you know, Daydon, do you ever plan on, you know, why don't you take your show to BET or, you know, <laughs> go national? Like something crazy. I'm just like, you know, you just got to pray for people like that because they really have no idea how this world works. I don't, one, I don't even want to do that. But two, I wouldn't be able to do that because of my convictions. You know, there's no place for a show like this. There's a reason why there's no show on, like, what you're listening to right now, There, you don't hear anything like that. That's not a coincidence. It's because that's not how this the entertainment industry is structured. You know, to be in the mainstream media, you have to go along with the mainstream agenda. You know, and the uh, mainstream agenda is controlled by people who worship Satan. And when you worship Satan, you have to put forth ideologies and images and symbolism and just, you know, content that would be pleasing to Satan and displeasing to God. That's why when you turn on your radio, you look at your TV, everything is anti-God and making a mockery of God. And, you know, the love of money and sex and violence, and that's just what's out here. And so when you have someone who's coming from a totally different perspective, you're not able to be in the mainstream media. You know, or if you're there, you, you know, you get bumped out. You know, and if you if you go peacefully, then that's cool. If you don't, then that's when some type of, you know, controversy happens or you get killed or you have a a, a car accident or you kill yourself. It's something crazy, you know what I mean? And that's just the game that's being played. You know, but my I guess my point with all this is you know, if you look at Lee Daniels, the butler, when you look at Tyler Perry, really when you look at Oprah, you know, yes, these are people in the African-American community. However, you know, they have, Lee Daniels, for example, you know, wanted to make a film, but in order to have that film be, you know, you see a commercial for the butler, you know, five, ten times a day, that comes with a price. Now, Courtney, did you see? I mean, you saw, we all saw it. Hopefully, you caught it. it. 
it could not have been more obvious, but Clarence Williams III, when he was, you know, instructing, uh, you know, my man, Forrest, you know, to what to do, he basically blatantly throws up that 666 sign. Did you catch it? Yes, I did. It's like, it's funny now, you know, that we've been talking about it. Every time I see it, it stands out. Like, I have to do, like, a double take, like, did he just do that? And it's funny when they do it, it has no place at all. Like, it doesn't make any type of sense <laughs> with what they're talking about. It's just, like, randomly just thrown in there. Right. And and it's, it's, it's there for a reason. Because just so you guys, if you're unfamiliar, you know, check out my special on Satanism in the entertainment industry, celebrities who've sold their soul, you know, for fame and fortune. Just Google all these things. They come right up. But just, you know, I don't even want to spend a lot of time talking about that. But it's, you know, it's there. And there's a reason why that you know movie is probably going to win some Oscars and it's getting all the attention, you know, because you have to say, hey, look, boom, perfect. That's what he said right there. If you didn't go see the movie again or when you catch it on DVD, pause it right at that moment. It was the most ridiculous thing. They put a, a, a straight-on shot of him by himself throwing up the 66 saying, perfect. And that was to symbolize, hey, look, we recognize what's going on in this industry. We are down with it. We understand it. We're not, you know, opposing it. So we appreciate all of the attention and the media coverage you've given this film. And this is our little way to say thank you and way to say perfect. Six, six, six. And that's and that's what he said. And so I just, you know, his stuff is not. And, and and like I tell you guys all the time, every Hollywood film has that now, blatantly. There's no Hollywood film that's made where you don't see someone clearly and strategically and blatantly throwing it up, you know, whether it's the black community or not. So, and it, which kind of just goes to show you that even our films are really not our films. Because if we want our films to be seen on the level that we want them to be seen, this is a, this is a mob. This is like, you know, you got to pay the piper. You know, you got to you got to do what you got to do. And, you know, people like Tyler Perry, Oprah Winfrey, Obama, they evidently Beyoncé, they have no problem paying the piper. I have a problem paying the piper. That's not I'm not okay with selling out for for millions of dollars. I'm that's not what I'm into. But, you know, unfortunately some people are. Are you cool with that, Courtney? Somebody put a million dollars in your pocket and say, throw up this 666. You cool with that? No, I'm turning that down. Mm-mm. So, I mean, nope. you know, and I don't, I can't knock anybody. I mean, you, you do what you want to do, but, you know, Kanye West, man, you know, I got a chance to watch that interview with where he was on Chris, you know, Chris Kardashian has a talk show. And, uh, I mean, I hope that y'all, if y'all didn't see it, I posted in the group, uh, I think yesterday. Is, Courtney, did you get a chance to watch it yet? No, because that website, it gave my computer a virus before, so I didn't catch it. No. Oh, wow. Yo, when you get some time, <laughs> go on YouTube or something, check out that. It's like a 20 minute. Not only did Kanye West switch up his whole voice, you know, uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's just, you know, like, if I just started talking, well, I just, you know, I'm I'm pretty, I try to articulate and enunciate you know what I mean? As much as, but Kanye West, I mean, you know, you could tell like he put on a fake voice, like just kind of like how Steve Harvey does. Like if you listen to Steve Harvey in the morning, 
he talks a certain way. But then when he's on Family Feud, he talks a different way. When he's on NBC, he talks a totally different way. The quote-unquote white voice. I don't like that term, but you know what I mean? That's what he's doing. And Kanye West was doing the same thing. And, you know, but which is what it is. I care less about that. But what I really took exception with is that these this dude... It was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. You have Chris, who, where the set is filled with Illuminati symbolism. You know, her whole set, that's just what it was. If you look at the floor pattern, you look at a lot of stuff, it was just filled with Illuminati symbolism, and, you know, check it out for yourself. But this guy has on a, 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 a What Would Jesus Do bracelet. I'm just looking like, yo, is that what I think it is? Cause, and then he did a close-up on it, and I was like, yo, that's really, because I didn't think they were going to talk about it. But then she even asked him at the end of the interview, she's like, yo, so, and it was very deliberate. So what's that on your wrist, Kanye? She's like, well, you know, I'm you know, I, I'm a Christian, you know, and I'm trying to live my life a certain way, and, you know, my religion is something that's very important to me, and da-da-da. I'm just looking like, yo, like, really? You know, and, and really, and I just want to, Help y'all see what was, and I don't want to take too much time on this, but you know that's that's the goal. When Kanye West, someone who was probably one of the most, if not the most, blasphemous person in society today, you know what I mean? This guy calls himself Jesus, all types of demonic and satanic references in every one of his songs, every one of his albums, every one of his videos, blatant, you know. But so he calls himself God presents himself as a God, for this guy to say, I'm a Christian, what he's doing is just saying, you know what, Christianity ain't nothing. You know what I mean? You guys see who I am, you know what I do, and I'm a Christian. Well, that kind of lowers, when you put that type of tag, he says, this is what I am, it's like, well, how can you respect, for people who don't know, they're like, well, if you're a Christian, well, then what the heck is Christianity? Do you see the effect that that has, something like that has, and, and how the magnitude of and importance of him saying that and how it just really is a slap in the face to Christianity as a whole? Oh, yeah. You know, because it just made me think. I've just been thinking, because um, I, I heard his song on the radio earlier today, um, and, you know, Jesus Walks. And that just makes me wonder, was he always blasphemous, like, all the way from the beginning, or did he just, like, just got caught up in the Illuminati? Like, that, that's, I just always wonder that, because it's just so weird how he just flipped. Like, when he first came out and nobody knew him, he was actually talking about Jesus. But now it's like, it's blasphemous, and now he's talking about Jesus, and now he's making fun of God. And it's like, what is wrong with you? Like, you look real psycho right now. Well, what happened was, well, to answer your question, no, he wasn't always, and a lot of these people weren't always, you know, how they how they were. Beyonce started out singing gospel. Kanye West came out just making beats, you know, doing stuff for Jay Z. But when you hang, when you get caught up into that lifestyle, Rihanna wasn't like that. She came out as a good girl. Taylor Swift. I mean, so many of these people, they just come into the industry. You know, they come into it. That's why you have you know, quote-unquote, one-hit wonders, they come in, you never hear from them again, because they see what it what it is. They see, you know, what is necessary to be done to take it to that next level. You know, when you come in, Kanye, he came in, he had talent. Sierra came in, she had talent. Like, you know, Rihanna, they have talent, but talent only gets you so far. You know, look at India Ari. 
she had talent, but then she kind of went away. She fell off because, you know, these people weren't, they, she wasn't willing to do what was necessary. Um, and there's so many people. Just look at so many of them, you know, Marsha Ambrosius and so many, you know, really, 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 really talented people. But it's only a handful of people who actually blow up in the superstardom, and it's no coincidence that you see those people doing all types of Illuminati symbolism, demonic stuff, Sierras, you know, wearing Baphomet on their shirt and doing all types of crazy stuff. So I'm just saying, you got, you know, as we talk about race relations, you can't just talk about it from a, you know, a community level. You really got to talk about talk about it from a national perspective and you can't talk about it from a national perspective and not talk about what it what what's going on in the nation what's going on in the uh on a large scale mainstream media because it's controlled by the company <laughs> right you see that's a lot of people don't a lot of people uh don't watch prison break some people do but I'm just getting into it and I would encourage everybody, if you're even remotely interested in what I'm saying right now, go on Netflix and watch Prison Break. Because I never was into it, I never watched it, but now I'm like, I just finished the first season. And anyone who watches it, it's it's amazing because the whole plot is based on the Illuminati. If you don't know anything about Prison Break, you understand Prison Break, the plot is about the people who control it. And if you Google, and I posted the link, but if you Google the company, that's what they call it, the company. It's a, it's a secret organization that, that basically runs politics, runs entertainment, runs sports, has a hand in everything, furthering this global agenda. And that's exactly what the Illuminati is. But the only difference is they call it the company, and it's they create these scandals and they create these tragedies and disasters all to further their plan. And and it's a, and Lost, if you don't know anything about Lost, Lost was about the Illuminati. Prison Break is about the Illuminati. It's the underlying, well, in Lost it was more of an underlying type of thing, but in Prison Break it's, it's blatant. So it is what it is, man. But, yeah, you know, if you guys are uh, listening and, if you want to listen, that's cool. If you have questions, that's cool, too. Comments, give us a call. You know, we're here. We're just talking about, you know, really, you know, who we are. Who we are and what do we stand for. Because for me, you know, it's not about black. It's not about white. It's not about racism. But for me, it's about, you know, it's about good and evil. Because that's the greater war that's going on. I mean, who really cares about race? When you have people who are literally worshiping Satan and imposing their view, the satanic views on us as Christians, and that's to me that's more important than black or white. Now, does that mean we should ignore certain racial issues? No, but let's let's keep priorities, you know, at, at hand. You know, let's talk about Bill O'Reilly a little bit because this is going to really allow us an opportunity to get to the root of the problems in the black community because he talked, he you know, I said he touched on a, on many of them. One of the things I said online when I first saw the, the video was, I said, Bill O'Reilly, love him or hate him, there isn't one thing in this entire video that Bill O'Reilly said about the black community that is not correct. I said, Don Lemon was cl criticized because he said many of the same things. Now, he said, well, if you're one of those people, I said, then you can hate me too. Because whether or not, whether it comes from a white man or a black man, the truth hurts. 
and that we as a community need to stop making excuses. We need to stop blaming the white man for everything, and we need to start taking responsibility for our own actions and shortcomings. Now, here's the irony. Here's the craziest thing, guys. Funny thing is, Don Lemon said what he said, and he came out uh, with, uh, you know, with this whole. He kind of co-signed and piggybacked off a lot of what Bill O'Reilly said, and he was attacked by Russell Simmons, you know, for calling him an Uncle Tom, and calling him disrespectful towards the black community. But the crazy thing is, now here comes Russell Simmons. This guy, he comes out with a Harriet Tubman sex tape. You know, this dude being, you know, he has a network or whatever where he, you know, puts, gives, uh, you know, filmmakers and comedians an opportunity to, you know, to showcase their, their talent. And he basically put this, this video on entitled, you know, I forget what exactly it was titled, but it was basically a Harriet Tubman sex tape where it was making a mockery of the things that she had to do to get us to slavery, basically saying that, you know, showing how she had sex with the white man. And, you know, I don't know if that was true or not, but the way it was depicted was in a very, very disrespectful manner. So we have him coming at and disrespecting Don Lemon when Don Lemon is actually speaking the truth and Russell Simmons is sitting up here really disrespecting one of our the greatest leaders the black community has ever seen. That is the ultimate hypocrisy. I mean, that's like the epitome of hypocrisy. And that's the same type of hypocrisy that exists in the black community as a whole. We can be some of the most disrespectful and violent and just niggardly type of individuals, but we have the audacity to complain about what somebody else is doing. Are you aware of that whole situation with Russell Simmons? Did you check it out at all? Yeah, I it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it makes no kind of sense. And then I, I saw the whole thing um, about Harriet Tubman's sex tape. That is just like beyond. That's beyond disrespectful. I just I couldn't even believe it. You know, I could not believe it. Now I could actually believe him like saying the stuff you know about Don Lemon because uh, we as black people a lot of times we tend to hate on each other anyways. But then for you to turn around and then do the Harriet Tubman sex tape. That's just like that's ridiculous. It's really it's not doing anything but just further damaging us as a people. It's, it did nothing to uplift us. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It was yeah, it was ridiculous. It wasn't even really funny, but it was just ridiculous. Um, so there was that. Then you got you know one of the, another thing that he said in the in the video, uh, Bill O'Reilly, was that you have he classified them as race hustlers, and I think that's a very good. Uh, term to describe what we're seeing out here, you know, with people like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and, and many other people, you know, who are using these tragedies, using these situations to hustle. Because you guys got to realize they don't just come out and adopt these, you know, these, uh, you know, these situations and these events as their own and make them their own fight, you know, for free. I mean, these are people who get paid, you know, thousands of dollars to give speeches and. You know, do all types of stuff. I mean, so you have, you know, your Al Sharptons. These guys are race hustlers, you know, who complain about situations like us being in prisons and the school system, but they never talk about the reasons, you know, why they're in prison. Like, for example, you'll never hear Al Sharpton marching or protesting or giving a speech on the gangs, the gang violence. You know the uh, you know the fact that you know we the the crime rate 
in the black community and how it's you know we're set, it's seventy percent higher you know than whites you know it's it's ridiculous these are things that you don't hear them talking about why because it's not popular that no one's gonna you know put money into that you ever go to drive down your street and you 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 gotta go you know dodge potholes everybody says why can't they come fix the street well fix the street for what you know the the play, and you go somewhere else and you see all types of construction. Well, the reason why there's construction in in the white neighborhoods versus the black neighborhoods is because one, you know, historically white people vote. You know, if you look at the voter turnout in these white neighborhoods, those are the people who are expressing that they have a voice. They're the people who are paying taxes. Those are the people, you know, who who, you know, that's just what it is. I mean, you know, they they are the crime rate is lower. And actions speak louder than words, you know, and so that's why they're going to put money into those communities. Now, if we start having the higher voter turnout, if we start going to the, you know, uh, some of these meetings and, you know, town hall meetings and, and making our voices heard and not just protesting stuff that happens, well, then, yeah, you know, stuff will get done. But, you know, politicians only respect two things, votes and money. And so when you're not voting and you don't have money, it's like you don't get respected. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of how it goes. Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton don't, don't come out unless the cameras are running. Uh, you know, that's just how how that goes. You know, and so you know, we, we mentioned earlier one of the things that O'Reilly said, and, we you know, we talk about this all the time. He said, well, look, you, you, Obama, you can't be having – you know, he said you got to stop glorifying this the violence. You got to stop glorifying the 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 sex, and you know we got to really call out the entertainment industry to do their job if we want to see a change. But that's not happening. In fact, Obama's doing the opposite. He's incur he's welcoming these people into the White House, having lunch with them, listening to them on his iPod, making it cool. And then next thing you know, these you know that's what these kids want to do. That's who they want to be like. You know, niggas sagging their pants. We talked about that earlier. Girls dressing like sluts. One of the things, another point that he made that uh, he said, look, let's let's get some uh, mandatory uh, student uniforms. He said, you know, where's that? Where's people? In and I agree with that. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like uniforms would be a good idea? Did you wear uniforms back in the day? Yeah, I wore uniforms all through high school. Okay. Was it, did you go to Catholic school? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, me too. See, I went to Catholic school, but see, back in the day, now I think it, you know I know uh, some schools they wear uniforms, but I, I I know that a lot of schools they don't. Back in the day, it, the only people who wore uniforms were Catholic schools. That's just what that was, you know. And I remember being happy. I actually loved my uniform. I learned how to tie a tie. And, you know, you could either, we could hook it up, we could wear khakis or, or navy or gray, and, you, you know, you could kind of wear whatever type of shoes you wanted. You know, I mean, the dress shoes, but you could kind of, you could still have style, but it was cool, and I think that that's what we need. You know, I mean, just statistically, you know, when people are dressed up, there's there tends to be less crime. You know, I mean, you know, obviously there's going to be crime all the time, but I'm just saying, you know, statistically... You're going to see less than when people have on a tie or maybe even a suit or something of that nature. And so I think that, you know, why, why not do that? Why? I mean, what's the problem? 
You know, you got black people, these families. I know that some uh, certain some cities, you know, they tried to institute the curfew, like a mandatory curfew. Now, the, you guys got to understand, this is this curfew came about, you know, because kids were out there all hours of the night. You know, the violence was was crazy, um, rapes, murder. You know, burglary, things like that, from teenagers a lot of times. So, you know, they came up with some legislation and said, well, look, let's, uh, you know, let's put the curfew in place. Let's do a, a nine o'clock, ten o'clock curfew, and and people protested. They said, why? I say, why not? I say, first of all, why not set a law? But more importantly, where are the parents that are instituting curfews? You know, like I had a curfew. I mean, I didn't even really, I didn't even have a curfew. It was just, I didn't go nowhere. They knew where I was. It wasn't like we, we never roamed the streets. It wasn't like we had to be inside. We just, they always knew where we were regardless what time it was. So there was no need for a curfew. Nowadays, you actually need a curfew because there are no parents to police these people. You know, and so, you know, we actually have the police to police these people now because the parents are not doing what they're supposed to do. You know? Uh, one of the things O'Reilly said in the in the video was, he said, where are these people, Obama, Al Sharpton, Reverend Jackson, where are these people to tell these little girls to stop having sex and stop having babies at 16? Where are these, these, these uh, you know, leaders telling the parents to step up and be parents? Where is, where is that? See, that's that's the real problem out here. Because you can't have leaders who are afraid to lead. You know what I mean? Because see, when you're a leader, you're going to ruffle some feathers. But the way that you're able to lead, even though you're ruffling feathers, is by speaking the truth and at the end of the day, having the people's best interest at heart. See, the reason why you guys are actually even listening to tonight's show See, I'm ruffling some feathers tonight. I'm saying a lot of things that are uncomfortable. But the reason why I'm why I'm not talking to myself is because I'm speaking the truth. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, as many people as listen to this show every night, you know, the phone lines would be going crazy if I was if I if I even said one disrespectful thing. You guys ever noticed that? I mean, people love to debate, but it's kinda hard to debate when you're when someone's speaking the truth and it really isn't saying anything disrespectful, it's just that it hurts to hear. Like Don Lemon, I mean, he said a lot of things that were hard to hear, but he never said anything disrespectful. Bill Cosby, he says things that are hard to hear, but he's never disrespectful. I don't disrespect anyone, but at the same time, I'm going to speak the truth about the black community, you know? You know, and that's the problem. You have these kids out here who are growing up in an environment where parents are more concerned with being their friend than they are, you know, putting a foot in their in their rear ends when necessary. And that's a problem. Because you need that. Kids need that. Bible says spare the rod, spoil the child. So what do you think about that, Courtney? You have a problem uh whipping out the belt, you know, once you get some kids? Nope. <laughs> no, cause because I I got spankings, I did, 
they never withheld that from me. I got the switch. I had to physically go outside and grab it. <laughs> you know, I I got that. So, but the thing is, though, I knew that it was done out of love. And so I think a lot of people, they look at that and they say, oh, well, that's abuse. No, I was never abused. You know, I was reprimanded and I learned my lesson so that wouldn't happen again, at least for the same incident. You know, so I'm definitely going to spank my child. Hey, absolutely. Now, I can't front. I ain't never spanking Aubrey, but, you know, I feel you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, no. Are you serious? I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. I'm just being honest with y'all. I don't know. I can't see myself. But I'll tell y'all this. You know what I mean? If, you know, when I have a son, you know, if I, if I'm blessed to have a son, I could definitely see that. But, you know, obviously, it's different, you know, when you have a daughter. But I'll tell y'all this. You know, if she needs it, then, yeah, I'm just messing with her. You know, definitely. But, you know, it's not even about. See, because here's the thing. Once it gets to that point, you know, a lot of times it's too late. You know, it's really all about giving fathers, giving their daughters. Because I let my, I mean, Danny can spank Aubrey. I mean, that's, I don't think that would be a problem. But I'm just saying, if 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 you get, if it gets to a point where a father has to really spank his daughter, most likely some things were not done that should have been done. Do you know what I mean? Like, usually young girls act out because they're not getting attention from the father, which is the whole reason for them doing the type of behavior that would even require a spanking. So I plan on being there. I plan on giving her love. I plan on educating her and teaching her and talking her, talking to her about right from wrong, just so she understands at a very young age. So hopefully that won't even be necessary. But, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, as parents, as a parent, I'm going to do what I what needs to be done regardless. You know, but I think that that's... Just the things that I just named, so many fathers aren't aren't even there, let alone aren't even doing. So, um, you know, it's just sad. And then we see what, this is what ends up happening. We look around and that's, you see, no one is talking about the real problem. They're talking around the problem. They're talking about, oh, yeah, let's let's solve the problem. Let's have a march, but we won't even talk to our kids. How are you going to march all the way to Washington, but you don't even have dinner with your kids? You you just kind of get get takeout and, and, and just everyone, every man for themselves. No, nah, we had dinner. I had to set the table. My sister and I, we had to set the table, like literally set the table for dinner. Fork, you know, on one side, knife, soup spoon, you know, dessert spoon, dessert fork, you know, cup on the upper right-hand side, like, you know, wine glass, you know, uh, regular cup, you know. So, like, I, I know all that stuff, you know, as far as how to set a table, you know, stuff that, like, people don't even know exists, you know. And so that's what, how we grew up, you know, like actually eating dinner as a family, playing Trivial Pursuit, you know, doing flashcards to learn all the capitals in the – you know, in this in the country and just fun games. You know, I'm thinking of a person, like 50 questions or 20 questions, whatever it was. You know, like just stuff that you could do to bond as a as a family. You know, and that is what's missing. You know, in in today's society. You know, mothers seeing their fathers. You know, or excuse me, kids seeing their mothers and fathers just laughing and joking and and not arguing and not cussing anybody out. I've never seen my argue my mom and dad argue ever. Not one time. And none of my siblings have. 
you know, and so, and they're still married. So I'm just saying, this is, this, that's rare. I never saw my grandparents argue. In fact, I saw the opposite. You know what I mean? I saw them in love until they were both 100 years old. So I'm just saying that, you know, and that's why I am how I am. You know, you see, and so we have to get back to that. But it's not going to happen overnight because we've got to change the cycle. You know, and we have right now, we have a cycle of a whole bunch of single parents. Well, once we start getting families together, and the only way that's going to happen is we got to encourage these young girls to stop having sex. Because then when the young girls are having sex, it, it, it messes everything up. They're having babies. 73% of black babies were born out of wedlock. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's crazy. 73% of black babies were born into single-parent homes. Is that not a crazy statistic? Yeah, that's so sad. That really is sad. We we have to do better. 73%. That's yeah. more than double the next race, like white people. You know, and then we wonder why the school systems are messed up and the welfare system is what it is and poverty is what it is and these kids are, you know, growing up feeling like, well, look, I got to I got to work the stripper pole. You know, I know I got to you know, hit these street corners. I gotta hit, you know, hit the hit the streets, man. It, maybe the gangs. You know, dad wasn't around, but the local, the local gang banger, he kind of adopted me. He showed me how to steal cars and sell drugs and run numbers and do all types of stuff. So that's my dad now. And these kids are being mentored by the wrong types of people. That's, I mean, that's what's going on because these kids are going to, they're going to be mentored. The kids are going to be mentored one way or another, whether it's a positive uh, man. And shout out to my church, Enon. They they do a great job of going out to the into the community with, with black men, black men laying hands on these kids. And, you know, I think they passed out like 1,900 book bags at an elementary school uh, over the weekend, you know, and just doing a lot of positive things. And we've got to get back to, you know, young black boys being able to look up at black men and say, this is cool, this is positive. Because, they're, you know, for a period of time, you, you know, you don't see that. You don't see positivity if you're if you're the youth nowadays. You see a bunch of niggas. And so that's what they gravitate towards. You know, they see Jay-Z who, who made out the hood. They see Meek Mill. They say, oh, I want to be like that. I want to be like Rick Ross. Well, But they don't see the relationship counselor. They don't see the lawyer, the doctor. You know, that's not cool. And we've got to get back to that. You know, racial profiling. You know, let's talk about that for a little bit. Racial profile. Everybody says, well, you know, Trayvon was uh, was was racially profiled. Well, and he was, you know, he was. That's one thing. If you if you heard my special on uh, Zimmerman, you know, Trayvon Martin was, you know, uh, I believe, was profiled because of the color of his skin and his attire, and and you know, and that's wrong. You know, I want to say that it's you know, I don't believe anyone should be racially profiled, but. See, this is where it gets a little bit 
deep. And we talked about this in detail in the special, so I don't want to say too much about it. But it would be great to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, well, you know what, he was a good kid. You know, he was minding his own business. He was just chilling, walking down the street. And we all know that for a fact. But the reality is we don't know that for a fact. We don't. No one saw Trayvon Martin that night. You know, no one really knows how he was acting that night. All we really know is what George Zimmerman told us about what he was acting that night or how he was acting that night. And according to him, he was acting crazy. He looked like he was high. He looked like he was on drugs. He was acting a little spaced out. That's what George Zimmerman said. And the reality is, and I don't even, and this is where I want to stop talking about Trayvon, and I want to talk about us as a large, on a large scale, because the way that George Zimmerman described Trayvon Martin that night, young black male, acting crazy, looking like he's into something, looking like he's up to something, whether or not Trayvon himself was acting suspiciously or not, the reality of the situation is, in most cases where there is racial profiling involved, you know, far too often, and I don't even want to talk about statistics, but just I'll say far too often the assumption is right. You know, the assumption is correct. Because I see it every day. You guys see it every day. We all see it every day, and we can only ignore it for so long before we really have to say, wait a minute, he actually is up to something. Case in point, I was out walking my dog uh, late the other night. You know, I just took him out for a little walk. And, you know, I actually saw a kid who was actually, he was up to something. He was You could tell he was plotting on something. I don't know if he was about to steal a car or break into a car, or, or but he was doing something that he was not supposed to be doing. It was clear he was like scoping out the area and he was like looking in the cars and he like it was just and I you know I was always taught just kind of mind my business but and the funny thing I mean I and this was literally the other day this wasn't like a long time this was like the other day and you know I'm just walking my dog and I didn't I'm not gonna say anything I'm not gonna confirm I'm not gonna be like George Zimmerman and go looking for a problem you know but at the same time I'm like wow that's crazy. Because he actually did fit the, the, the you know, that quote-unquote stereotype of being up to something. But the, rea- the only difference is, or I should say the reality is, he was up to something. You know, and, and so I just didn't stick around long enough to figure out what that was. But, and that happens in all neighborhoods all across the country. And that's the problem that we're that we're not addressing is, what happens when the assumption is correct? Because, yes, sometimes, because I've been racially profiled and the assumption was incorrect. So I know how it feels to be judged on the color of my skin incorrectly. I remember one time I was walking through Bloomingdale's and I bought a, a hat from Lids alone. I was in high school, bought a hat from Lids, the hat store. And so I'm, I just cut through Bloomingdale's on the way out to the parking lot. And I was so excited to put the hat on my head. I was ripping the tags off in the store, which was stupid. I was the idiot for even doing that because I wasn't even thinking. I just wanted to put the hat on and wear it out. But as I, before I could even get out the doors, the security, they kind of rushed me. Bloomingdale's like, yo, give us the hat back. You know, we saw you ripping the tags off. We know you stole it. Just give us the hat back. 
you know, or we're going to put you in some handcuffs. I'm like, what are you talking about? I just bought, you know, first of all, you don't even sell these hats. I just bought this hat like five minutes ago from Liz. Here's the receipt. And so obviously they apologized, you know what I'm saying, looked like idiots. But how many times in the past have they caught young black kids in high school stealing from Bloomingdale's? Plenty. You see the problem with that scenario, Courtney? Yeah, and I've actually seen that happen, <laughs> like, in, in real life. Like, they, it would actually be a chase, like, down the mall, you know, over somebody that stole something. Like, I'm so serious. Like, somebody stole something, and I guess they tried to, you know, run real quick. And it was just like, that stuff really does happen. Like, people really do still. Like, I've seen that, and we've all probably even seen it or, or heard of somebody that was stealing somewhere. And um, so, yeah. Yeah, my, my wife and I, we we were in the, the mall uh, a couple of weeks ago. We saw some kids get caught. They were stealing, and security rushed them and got them. And they were still. In fact, we saw that. We see all this stuff. Another time, we actually saw some two girls actually stealing in the store. They did this straight up one chick. They had the whole thing planned out. One chick uh, uh, distracted, the, you know, asked the cash register. The person at the cash register some questions and some stupid, ridiculous questions, and her, her partner was in the back putting stuff in her pocket. I'm like, yo. And so I guess what I'm saying is we've really got to look at forget about when we're wrong. We're not, I'm not saying forget about it because that's a problem as well, but you can't just ignore the opposite. You can't just ignore when we're right, when the assumption is correct. We've got to really in, instill in our kids, hey, look, you've got to stop sticking up, you know, sticking people up, murdering breaking into cars, because the crime rate speaks for itself. You know, and I told you guys the other night when we did our special, you know, I have cops who are friends. You know, my frat brother's a cop, I, you know, childhood friends who are cops. I mean, I know a lot of cops, actually, black cops. And in most cases, more often than not, it's not about racial profiling. It's about common sense. You know, we can talk about stop and frisk. That's another, you know, we're talking about the black community tonight, race relations. Well, you know, what's up with stop and frisk? Well, stop and frisk is, you know, some people say, I think it was just ruled that it was unconstitutional in New York. Well, I mean, the thing about it is you got to look at the reason for stop and frisk. The reason for it is because the gun rate, the crime rate is off the charts. You know what I'm saying? In the black community. There's a lot of guns on the streets. So the whole point of stop and frisk is if you see someone suspicious, then it's okay to just, hey, look, let me frisk you real quick and see if you have guns. Now, I mean, see, and I would I would say this. It's kind of like if you do random, if there's a drug problem at your job, Courtney, you know, like there, you know people are smoking weed, People have been known to be high on the job, and it's been a problem at that job. And the CEO says, well, look, all right, we want to start doing random drug tests. Okay. Well, some people, maybe even most people, who get tested will will come back clean. They'll come back, you know, not guilty, you know, of this drug test. But if if there's a problem, you're going to catch some people who are the main offenders, or they're going to stop doing drugs because now that they know that there's random drug tests. So one way or another, the problem itself is going to be fixed. And somewhere along the line, we as a people have taken our eye off 
the actual problem. We're looking at the you know the 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 ways that the the legal system is penalizing us for the problem or trying to solve the problem, but no one's talking about the actual problem, which is guns on the streets in the hands of children. So, okay, you don't like stop and frisk. So what do we do? See, that's the thing. No one wants to come up with solutions. Everyone wants to talk about, oh, there's an injustice. But what about the problem? You know what I mean? What, what, Courtney, have you ever heard Al Sharpton offer any solutions to getting guns off the streets from black kids, black men? No, he never does. It's It's all talk. Everything he says is just all talk. It, it sounds good, and it gets us, you know, riled up and like, yeah, yeah, he's he's supporting us. But at the end of the day, he doesn't do anything. No. Right. And so that's the thing. And see, the thing about me, I am all about suggestions. I'm all about, hey, if somebody has a better option, I have no problem with being stop and frisk because either, one, they're not going to find anything, or, two, my guns are legal. So, I mean, either way, it really doesn't matter. And I think the problem is good people are not, you know, being harassed on a large scale. A lot, more, You know, more often than not, it's the people who actually are guilty. You know what I mean? And that's the problem. Go out right now and do stop and frisk, and you're going to find some guns. And I think, and the funny, the craziest thing about this is, is like, we as a community are more passionate about an injustice to a drug dealer than we are a drug dealer. That's the craziest thing, you know? Like, somebody could go out and kill a little girl with an illegal gun, but if that person was illegally or racially profiled, then people would be more passionate about the fact that he was his rights were violated than the fact that he actually is a killer. Like that's like that's the problem with Rodney King. That's the problem with Troy Davis. People were more concerned about the fact that Troy Davis was 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 put to death than they were the fact that he was a criminal. That's the craziest thing about that. Rodney King was a criminal. The Genus Six were criminals. You know what I'm saying? Like these are like look this stuff up. This, these weren't like you know. Little altar boys or something, you know. I mean, these were like not good people. I mean, really, to be real with y'all, neither was Trayvon. To be to be perfectly honest, if you guys have done any research, which I have, most people haven't, but I have. So, and, you know, and that's what I, you know, I think we really got to start looking at raising these kids better, because that's the only way the black community is going to change. Is when families come back together. We stop pointing the finger. You know, it should not take a middle-aged, older white man to to summarize our problems better than anyone in the black community, you know, can. That's, that's like, ridiculous to me. Why is Bill O'Reilly one of the only people, I feel like, other than me, talking about the problems in the black community? How come the only conversation about race relations involves victimization? And that's not how it should be. Let's talk about affirmative action. Courtney, how do you feel about that? You feel like in 2013, you know, affirmative action still has a place? Is it still necessary? You know, I don't feel like it's necessary. I, I don't. 
I don't. Because I, I just think about, you know, um, just, you know, job searching, and you know, um, back in college when we were going and looking for jobs and stuff and um, how some of us would, you know, get jobs um, or maybe get into certain programs at, at our college just because of our race. Um, but I, I think it should be based off of, you know, what you bring to the table. Are you qualified? Because I, I think um, we just need to stop um, pointing the finger all the time and um, we need to stop playing the victim and just really, you know, focus on what we can do and, and our capabilities. We shouldn't be, things shouldn't be handed to us just because we're black. And that's how I feel about it. I'm going to be honest with you. I agree. I, I think that affirmative action is, and this is, you know, I know this may be unpopular, but, I mean, just the whole concept of it is to me, and, you know, who knows, maybe I've even gotten jobs, I'm maybe, you know, because of affirmative action. I mean, you know that little check mark on the application where it says, are you black, you know, how do you, I mean, you know what that's about, right? They want to mm-hmm. know who's applying for these jobs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's really, that should not matter. If you put your whole work history on there and they ask you, you know, like, what's your race? Well, why do you, you see my education? You see my experience? You see my work history? You have my social? You can do a background check. Like, why do you, why do you need to know what my race is? And they need to, they're trying to see about that affirmative action to see, you know, if you can jump, they can jump you a couple of spots ahead. And I don't want to jump ahead at all. I mean, it's it's sad that it's that it that we have it and that it was even it came about during a point where it was needed. But I think that in 2013, you know, I don't think there should be any affirmative action. I think that we should just level out the playing field and just you know let the chips fall where they may. See, people the funny that people are more concerned about affirmative action than they are about preparing us to be equal, because no one's talking about the fact that half these kids can't even speak English. I mean that's that's the craziest thing about it. Most of these these young black kids, even the educated kids, can't speak English. Have you ever seen a, Have you ever seen an un, an educated person who who still can't even speak English? Um, no, I personally haven't. What, like, well, let me like you know what I mean. I mean like give me an example. Let, let me give you an example. What I mean, like for example. I was listening to the news this morning, and I think the mayor of, uh, I think like Chester, Chester, Pennsylvania, you know, was was on there, and he was he was ghetto, you oh, know what yeah. I mean? I saw so like he was the mayor, but his vocabulary, and he didn't articulate his words, and you know, I mean, he just he used words in the incorrect context. I mean, he he was quote unquote educated. I'm assuming to be even be mayor, but he, you know, just was ghetto. I mean, he was speaking with like a, a elementary education, and, and there's a lot of that going on. So I, my mom always used to tell me, you know, keep your eyes on the prize. We need to, you know, really strive for greatness, and that's what we're not doing. You know, there's a lot of <laughs> just educated niggas out here. You know, people who have gone to college, but nowadays. You know, you can you can go to a, let's say you're in the public school system, you know, and we all know what that's like. And so you you graduate, you go to college, and you graduate from college. 
Okay, but I mean, depending on what the type of school, and you, I mean, a lot of it's not that hard. Is my point? You can graduate from high school with a sixth grade reading level. Um, you can, and so if you get to college and you know you take some basic courses and then you take like a, you know, I mean, it's not my point. It's not hard. You go to class and you study and you you know you pass your class. That doesn't mean you're educated. It doesn't mean you know how to talk. There are a lot of people who are adults out here who just do not speak well. I mean, you've seen that, Courtney. Mm-hmm. We all have. You know, and I'm not mm-hmm. knocking anybody, but I'm just saying we need to the, we need to be better than that. You know, it should when someone speaks correctly, you shouldn't say they speak white. No, they speak correctly. Let's, I mean, so, you know, and, and I think, like I said, going back to the affirmative action thing, there's more talk about affirmative action than there is on the fact that we're seeing more and more people who are not qualified for these positions. That's mm-hmm. the real problem. It's A lot of times it's not about race. It's not always about, okay, you didn't get this position because I don't like black people. No, I'm going to hire someone because they actually came in in a suit as opposed to khakis and a polo shirt. You know, I'm going to hire someone because they're not tatted all up. You know, I I mean, if that means that person is white, then so be it. But, I mean, you shouldn't have to face, you shouldn't have to hire someone just because of affirmative action when you know that there are better people for that position. That's the problem I have. Because I'm a business owner. We're celebrating 10 years, Talbert Relationship Counseling. You know, I've been in a lot of different, um, you know, uh, just situations where I've come in contact. My business has developed over the years. And, you know, I've been faced with hiring people for certain things. And, you know, I want the best. That's just what I, you know, I want the best with everything. I don't care if that person is white, if that person is, you know, Asian, whatever the case is, black. Hopefully it could be black, but if not, then, I mean, I'm going to get the best. Um, You know, and, and, you know, we talk a lot about these tattoos. Tattoos and, you know, colorful weaves. And then we have the audacity to wonder why we can't move forward as a people. You know, well, look how we're presenting ourselves. You know what I mean? I mean, Courtney, you see that because you you do, like, HR type of things. You, You see what type of people... Uh, in the black community come in there ridiculous ridiculous i just i i don't understand you know why it is the way it is like why we just don't i'm not saying we as a whole but a, a lot of us we just don't um I don't know. We don't know how, basically how to act. You know, we'll go um, for an interview, and and it's one thing to have a tattoo, but it's another to have it showing, like just there, just all out there on your arm, (laughs) talking about I want a job. (laughs) What are you talking about? You want a job. You know what I mean? And um, it's it's just so unfortunate that a lot of people don't, um, black people just don't know any better at all. I'll tell you something. You know, I mean, this, and I've talked about this in the past, but when we talk about the black community, I mean, there's a lot, you know, even when Obama was running, there was a lot of attention put on the unemployment rate. And it's like amazing that people are trying to focus on unemployment like it's a bad thing, you know, when the reality is, and again, not everyone, but the reality is there are a lot of jobs out here, okay? 
There are a lot of jobs out here, guys. A lot. Not just a little bit, but a lot. Okay? There are a lot of jobs. Now, when you look at... Because, see, the problem with it is is that the people talking about there are no jobs out here are the people who aren't qualified to get uh, the higher job, higher paying jobs, the better jobs that are out here. So you may have someone, let's say, for if you look at even the the college graduation rate, you know, in the black community, it's actually relatively yo, low. And then you look at the even the high school graduation rate is is also low. So a lot of the reality is a lot of people who didn't graduate from high school and a lot of people who haven't even graduated from college are the main ones complaining about there are no jobs out here. When the reality is there are jobs out here, but the only jobs that you're qualified for are McDonald's, Walmart, Target, the telemarketing place. So, you know, that's obviously going to contribute to the level of poverty and, you know, just that whole thing. And, you know, then you have that. And then a lot of times, you know, somebody, someone maybe get fired from one of those types of jobs, so then they go on unemployment. And then because their work history is messed up, it's hard for them to get another job, so a lot of times they end up just staying on unemployment. Well, the reality is, and not again, I don't want to generalize because I don't, you know, that's not what I do, but in many cases, the, you know, the people who are on unemployment in many cases are actually content being on unemployment. You know, that's the funniest thing about it. Like, people will talk about unemployment like it's so bad, but the people actually on welfare, a lot of these babies' moms who are on welfare, who are getting a check, subsidized housing, you know, paying like $10 a month for, you know, for rent. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, a lot of times you don't hear them complaining about it. You hear people, you know, getting fired from a job or getting laid off, now they're getting five, six hundred dollars a week. Well, a lot of times they're not even they're not complaining about that because they know deep down that that five, six hundred dollars a week for sitting at home chilling all day is more than they would get for a job that they are qualified to get. You know, because they they don't have the in most cases, have the education or the experience to command a job where they would make more than say you know, seven, eight hundred dollars a week. So five, six hundred dollars is cool. And some most times it's even less than that. But that's still cool if you can sit at home and, and, and sell drugs or, or do whatever under the table. And that's what's going on out here on a large scale. Not with everybody. You know, I understand that there's some people who, who are educated you know, who have gotten laid off from high-paying jobs and they are having trouble finding out. I'm not saying that that does not happen, but at the same time, I know many people who are very content, you know, just living off the system. And that's what we have to talk about. We can't just ignore the laziness that exists out here as if it doesn't exist. Corey, I'm sure you know. I mean, I'm sure you know people who've been on unemployment and who've been content on it. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was on unemployment at one point, you know, and so, um, but the difference um, between me and you know other people that were like bragging about it is that I had a plan, and so a lot of people that are on unemployment they're chilling, and they don't have any plans to ever get off, <laughs> you know. That's that's the bad part. It's like 
they want to be on unemployment for as long as they can, and they're not, you know, they're not searching for jobs. They're not doing anything. They're just thinking, you know, I don't, I, I could sit and chill, you know, I could use this money to get my new weave or, you know, whatever. But they're, they don't want to take the time, that time to be doing something productive. They could be going back to school. They, you know what I mean? It's different things that they could be doing to set themselves up for their future, but they're not making those those choices, and that's the that's a problem. Right, and I I don't want to sit up here like I'm you know above it all, like I'm better than anybody because you know I have you know listen I'll tell you, I'll be the first to throughout life I've you know and even now I have a lot of what would be considered niggardly tendencies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, I do a lot of ghetto stuff. You know, I don't consider myself to be a nigger. You know, I don't consider myself to be a part of the problem. In fact, I consider myself to be someone who's trying to fix the problem. But am I perfect? No. Do my wife and I, we do some ghetto stuff that we won't necessarily talk about today? Yeah, sure. But see, the difference is I'm not sitting around waiting for a handout. I'm not sitting around complaining, and I'm not sitting up there talking about, let's go protest this, and the white man is holding us back from doing that. Any money that's in my bank account, I work for. You know what I'm saying? Have I been on unemployment in the past? Oh, absolutely. Oh, don't get that twisted. You know, see, the thing about it is, and I have the utmost See, I have respect for people who keep it real. You know, if you say, hey, look, because I believe this, you know, corporate America and really the society as a whole, it's all really slavery. You look at, you know, let's say you work for, say, you know, one of these banks or IBM or something or, you know, a computer company, whatever. I don't care where you work. They're making money off you, and what they're paying you is most, is basically pennies compared to what you are making for them. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense for them to pay you what they're paying you. So you're making them a lot more money. And so if you're at a situation where you're most likely not being treated fairly or treated, you know, the way that you could be, and something happens where you get fired from that situation or, you know, discriminated against or whatever ends up happening, you know, and you have the opportunity to collect unemployment while you look for something else, while you start your own business, I would be crazy to say, oh, just tell them no, don't take that. No, we pay for that. You know, this country, we, that money is owed to us. So I'm not sitting here saying don't use it. I say, look, use unemployment. Use those bastards the way they used us for 300 years. It's free money. Take it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not saying that. I have no problem with people who utilize the system. You know, shoot, I got food stamps in college. <laughs> Listen, I had no problem doing that. That was the hustle in school, you know. It's, so I've done a lot of that type of stuff. But... You know, my thing is at least be honest about it. Be real about it. Don't sit back and act like you are some type of victim when you know you are you you're, you know what you're doing. Like you, like for example, don't sit there and be like, "Oh my God, the government this, the government that." There are no jobs out here, but you didn't graduate from high school and you don't you didn't graduate from college, and you know you really have minimal experience, but you don't want to go work at the supermarket. You don't want to go work at Target. But you're gonna you 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 know you're complaining about being on, on on unemployment when you know your face is tatted up and McDonald's is the only place that will hire you when you look like a freaking monster. <laughs> you see what you see the difference there? Don't sit there and complain. Stop complaining. Just be real about it. 
You know, if you are have an opportunity to let to get subsidized housing or some type of, you know, section 8, hey, you know, do what you got to do. But don't sit there and complain about it. Unless you're going to do something about it. Like I hate people who sit there at a job that they hate and then complain about their boss. What are you complaining about your boss for? Either you don't nobody this ain't slavery, you don't have to go. You know what I'm saying? Just leave. Just quit if it's so bad. But I bet you they, they still get there, you know, and go to work every day. And those be the same people who complain and complain and complain about work, but they still go, but won't even go to church on Sunday to give some praise. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's the hypocrisy, you know what I mean, that that that, that really, you know, irks me. You hear those complaints, Courtney. You see the, the, the hypocrisy. Yeah. Yeah, I do. My thing is if, you know, oh, I'm sorry, what were you about to say? No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, if you if you do complain, because I, I, that's something that I personally have to work on myself, to be honest. But um, but my thing is if you do complain, at least, um, you know, do something about it. At the very least, you need to pray about it. But, you know, also you want to make sure that you do something about it so you won't have to keep complaining. But, like, I do see people who complain for like years, like I'm talking about five, ten years about a job, you know, they're unhappy with and they never decided to, you know, look elsewhere. And it's like you don't have to you don't have to cause unnecessary, you know, drama for yourself. You know, do something. Do something about it. That's one thing about me. You guys never hear me complain about anything. Any any job I've ever had you know, I mean, really, aside from the fact that I believe you have to live life with an attitude of gratitude, the Bible says to be thankful in all things. But aside from that, I mean, I, I'm just a go-getter. Like, if I want something, I, you know, I go get it. Or if I'm not happy with something, then I change it. You know, and that's just what it is. So, I mean, I, I've left jobs. I've quit jobs. I've gotten fired from jobs. But, you know, I, I don't sit there and complain. I just kind of, you know, pick up and, 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 you know, keep it moving and, and do what I need to do to survive. And I think that that's what we need to uh, to do more of in the black community. You know, we need to start, you know, start your own business. And I have no problem. If you say, look, you know, I want to start a business, but, you know, I, it's hard. Hey, I mean, go on unemployment. Shoot. Go ahead. Let them pay for you while you start your own business because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to start our own businesses. We're supposed to be, you know, have our own. We shouldn't be dependent on the white man. You know, and if you want to, I mean, it's all a, a trade. If you want to be in corporate America, then, hey, do it. But understand that corporate America is not designed for us. So, when I mean, people get in corporate America, and they get mad when they get fired, or they get mad when their white boss doesn't like them. It's like, well, what do you want? You don't want to work for yourself. You want to work for the white man, but you get mad when he doesn't like you. Well, that's how it's structured. They're intimidated by you. If you get in there and you bust your butt and you're number one in your market or whatever you're doing, well, then you're going to get hated on. They're going to probably try to get you out of there. They're going to probably try to fire you. Anyone who's been in corporate America and has longevity in corporate America knows to just kind of get in there. You know, and I'm speaking more so from a male perspective. I know it's a little bit different for women. You know, there's not that intimidation type of, you know, factor. But, you know, if you're a black man and you get up in corporate America... You're making all types of waves. You're breaking all types of, uh, you know, records and, you know, hitting all types of goals. And, I mean, they start hating on you. You know, I've, it happened to me. It happened to friends of mine. I mean, I've seen it happen, you know, all throughout my life. I'm like, whoa, I got I to gotta get out of here. 
you know. So uh, someone in the group said uh, the the lawyer for the Trayvon Martin family was an excellent example of uh, an an educated, you know, someone a ghetto person. <laughs> you, you see that in, on the on the live thread? Yeah, I saw that. That's a great example, perfect example. Of what I'm talking about. How are you going to be a lawyer, but but speak with a sixth grade education or a sixth grade vocabulary? Can't even, you know, enunciate. And you know what I'm saying? It's ridiculous. And and there's a lot of that going on out there. In fact, my mom, she's listen, guys. She still corrects me to this day. If I say something, you know, or use a word in an improper context, or or I mean, I don't really do it anymore. But growing up. If I said something, she'd be like, what? Like, it didn't matter what we were talking about. She would stop me right then and there and say, no, what would you say? No, it's, and make, you know, make me say it the proper way. And that is, you know, what we need more of. You know, like I said, we've, you know, there's more stuff that we could even talk about that we, you know, probably won't get time for. I'm getting ready to wrap it up today. But, you know, we, you can't ignore these issues. You can't ignore the tattoos. You can't uh, ignore the unemployment. You can't ignore the sixth grade education. You can't ignore the crime rate. You know, we can't ignore the race hustlers who are noticeably absent, you know, throughout the course of, uh, the, you know, when there's not a tragedy. How come the only time Obama speaks about race is, is Trayvon? Mm-hmm. I mean, when when really was the other, I mean, when does he even talk about race? He's from Chicago and doesn't even talk about the, the, Chicago, the fact that Chicago is the the crime capital of the uh, the murder capital of the country right now. I mean, how you that should be I would think front and center on your agenda. But I'm see that's the thing I'm not. It, it, listen, he's the president. The president is controlled by the Illuminati. The Illuminati focuses on making money. You know, it's rich. You're, if you're not rich, you don't matter. So when you're being controlled by these people. I don't expect Obama to talk about black matters and race matters for what? They ain't paying no they ain't putting no money in his pocket and they're not really doing nothing with the whole I mean he's on his way out so votes don't even matter at this point. So I mean at this point it's all about it's all about payback. You know, it's all about payback. In the beginning it was about forming alliances, you know, um you know, making friends, getting money, donations. Now it's payback time. All this stuff that we're seeing in this second term is payback for the people who put him in office. That's why a lot of this stuff, all these laws that you guys see are seeing passed, you know, over the last couple of weeks that nobody really talks about, all these laws that really are infringing upon our our, our rights and our, um, you know, the the things the Constitution speaks about, I mean, just watch the news. There's so I don't even have time to get into them. There's so many laws that that were passed during the week of the Boston bombings and you know these school shootings. Next thing you know, there are laws being passed. You know this whole uh, Edward Snowden thing. You know with the whole you know monitoring and you know spying. I mean there's there's so much stuff the government is up to that not only the black community isn't aware of, but really at the end of the day we don't care about. And that's the saddest thing, because you can't talk about race relations without talking about, you know, how we interact with other races, you know, and how we can be so, you know, consumed with our own matters that we really don't even care about what's going on in the rest of the world. 
You know what I mean? Which is a shame. You know, I mean, you look at, um, I mean, there's so much stuff that we just, we just oblivious to as a community. You know, foreign affairs, um, you know, we, we after Obama leaves office, we're going to go right back to not voting. I mean, there's no reason that the that the voter turnout should spike just because we have a black president. When, what was going on this whole time? Well, we just didn't care. You know, I mean, why do so many? Why are so many blacks registered Democrats? I mean, what, what what's that all about? Democrats are the ones who are who are the problem. They're, those are the ones who wanted to keep us in slavery. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just saying, bro. Uh, Abe Lincoln was a was a Republican. You know, he that's so where did this whole Democrat thing come from? Democrats are historically the people who are more so liberal and pushing this satanic agenda. You look at the Democratic platform, then look at the Republican platform, and you tell me which which meshes more with Christianity. Now I'm not a Democrat or a Republican, but I'm just saying. You look at who su- who supports homosexuality, who supports gay marriage and um you know who's really pushing you know for these wars you know who's pushing i mean there's so much stuff all this new age stuff that's going on is really being put forth from the democratic party you know republicans historically have been more you know conservative whereas the democrats are more but you know, financially it's like the propaganda will tell you democrats are good republicans are bad Whereas they're all being controlled by the same people, but forget that. That doesn't matter. It's just that, you know, good versus evil. You know, rich versus poor. Obama's for the poor, which is ridiculous. You know, Obama is not for the poor. In fact, this whole Obamacare is costing more money. You're paying more money. But that's whole, you know, like I said, that's beside the point. Most people have no idea what Obamacare even is, let alone how it works. You know, and I think that we just, have, as a community, have to do a better job of educating ourselves on the things that matter. Uh, be stop being passionate about things that really don't matter, and start being passionate about things that we have direct control over. You can control the fact of whether or not a drug dealer sets up shop on your corner. You can control that. You can't really control, you know, a lot of the legislation that gets passed, but you can control cleaning up your block. You can get some of these crackheads off the, off the corner. You know, I mean, you can do that. You can you can talk to these young girls and keep them off the stripper pole. You know, fellas, you can mentor some of these young boys, tell them that you know there's another way. You don't ha- you, you know you don't have to be in a gang. You don't have to be a stick up kid. These are things that we as a community can actually do. You know, marching on Washington is is you know it's something to talk about, but at the end of the day, it doesn't do anything. You know. Um, you know, going, getting in a ministry at your church and, you know, mentoring kids, that, that actually does something. You know, I mean, focus on what you can change. Like, I, I you know, one thing that I, I do is, we, you know, we mentioned some of the, you know, Medgar Evers and, um, you know, Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, Frederick Douglass, Paul Robeson. I mean, you know, Malcolm X King. Like, these were people who had set things that they were passionate about. You know, I'm passionate about helping black women. That's that's my passion. Anyone who knows me, that's what I do. You know, um, primarily, you know, now I do things outside of that, like Tonight Show and, you know, some other things, but that's primarily what I do. I'm passionate about educating people on, you know, uh, you know, things in the church, things that are a threat to the church. 
things that are making a mockery of the church. That's what I'm passionate about. So I would just encourage anyone to, you know, figure out, first of all, what your passion is. Because some of y'all are just kind of going with the flow. It's like, oh, at whatever current event, whatever is hot, whatever is popular, that's kind of, you know, which direction you'll go in. But it's like, who are you? What are you rooted in? What are you passionate about? What do you put on this earth to do? What's your calling? You know, that's what we need to start doing as a people, you know, as a community. You know, you knew what King was passionate. You knew what Malcolm X was passionate about. But what are you passionate about? Hell, what, what's Obama even passionate about? If I asked you, what's Obama passionate about, Courtney, could you tell me? No. <laughs> no. You see the difference, guys? There's a big difference there. And these are that's how you know a leader, when it's clear to you who they are and what they are all about, what they stand for, what their passion is. Al Sharpton, what's his passion? Jesse Jackson, what's his passion? You really have no idea. You know, they kind of just pop up. You know, 50-year anniversary. Oh, let's call let's call those guys up. Let's get them out. Where are they where are they at the rest of the year? <laughs> you know, so I you know, think about this stuff, guys. But uh getting ready to wrap it up, you know, 3 hours is a long time. But I knew we were going to have a lot to talk about. Don't worry. You know, we'll back to we'll be back to getting, you know, doing what we do. Normally, you know, barbershop talk, keeping it real, Fridays, advice, Monday, you know what I'm saying, all that good stuff. But, you know, from time to time, we've got to switch it up and we've got to talk about the issues that, in my opinion, matter and that that do uh, affect us as a community. Courtney, any last-minute comments or uh, thoughts or words of wisdom? Yeah. So I just wanted to say, you know, we as a people, um, we need to really – you know, stop pointing the finger and blaming others for, you know, the things that are going on in our communities. And we definitely have to look, you know, within not even just our own communities, but in our in our homes. Like, we have to take responsibility. We have to make sure that we know, you know, that where our children are, you know, that we care about our children, we love our children, and that we are good examples and, you know, providers to our children. And even to the single moms, you know, even though there may not be a father around, make sure that there is, you know, your child has a, a male mentor or father figure. You know, make sure that that person is in place. We have to do things and make changes within our own homes before we're able to see the change, you know, nationally. And so I think it all starts it all starts at home. It all starts at home, absolutely, guys. I, I thank you guys for uh, for listening in this evening. This is an issue that you know we've been talking about doing for a very long time, and I'm glad we, you know, were able to come back and and, and do it tonight on a Sunday night. So I thank you guys for taking some time out and listening. Um, if you you know, same thing though. If you guys need any help with anything or counseling, you know, I just redid the website. Check out the new and improved trctoday.com where you can find information about uh, counseling services, literary consultation. It's your uh, your home for the day on Tolbert Show. You can check it, check that out. Um, you know, any advice, give me a call, 855-55-DAYDON, or shoot an email at daydon at trctoday.com. If you haven't already, yo, get your, get your um, don't be a psycho shirt, you know what I mean? Get it, give it as a gift or, you know, whatever you want to do. Um what else, man? Get my book, The Love We Had. Check it out if you haven't got it already. And, and you know, and just support. 
You know, and that's one of the things that you know we didn't even get a chance to really talk about. But you know, we we really have to get we got to get rid of this whole crabs in a, a barrel mentality and, and just support. You know, we're really quick to support the white man and, and the white products, and uh, you know, but very reluctant to support our own. Like I try to do a good job of supporting. Like if I see somebody doing something positive, I'd be like, "Yo, support that brother, support that sister." But you know, I see very few people doing that for people like me, you know, other black authors and people, you know, just black. We don't do a good job of supporting our own and, and just supporting positivity. But we'll support the heck out of basketball-wise, you know what I'm saying, and loving hip-hop, right? But uh, so think about these things. And, um, you know, we might even come back live for a, uh, you know, Advice Mondays tomorrow night. I'll keep you all posted on that. But y'all know what I do, man. At the end of these shows, y'all already know what song I play, Courtney. You know what song I'm about to play, don't you? Oh, uh, no, I don't. Which one? <laughs> uh, you know. So I know the people in the group know. The, uh, you guys, I'm just going to let it play. But this is a show where this is absolutely necessary and it's applicable. And uh hope you guys enjoy it, man. I'll see you all tomorrow.
Oh, man. 